Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Town TV's coverage of Amazon's The Wheel of Time. We have finally, finally made it. Episode 8, The Eye of the World, otherwise known as the season finale. Obviously, this episode, Town TV's episode, is coming out a bit later than usual. We're usually pretty good at getting them out quick after the episodes. But Happy holidays. Obviously, yeah, it was the holiday season. So first of all, yes, happy holidays to you and yours. Hope everyone is doing well. That leads us into the second point is that some of us were not doing so well. Mm-hmm. So we had a... Raise your, <laughs> raise your hand if you had COVID. Uh, we, had ah, a push me. we had to push back the recording a little bit. So um, the, the point on that is that if you're watching or listening to this episode after the absolute tsunami of a uh, wheel of time content that has come. Oh, did you do this, that on purpose? Yeah, this yeah. Oh, yeah, I know what I'm about. Um, we appreciate you. So obviously, you know, this is coming out a lot later than the episode. I'm sure you guys have dived in or dove in rather to a lot of other wheel of time content. So thanks for sticking with our content. And before we get into kind of going into the episode scene by scene and doing our deep dive stuff, obviously we're only going to do one episode. We kind of missed the train on the whole instant reaction stuff. Just very briefly, brief just overview of what we thought about the episode. So no theory talk, David, and you can go first. <laughs> I'll get it out of the way. Um, I just really, this was just a phenomenal, great season. I, all my expectations were met. Um, it was about halfway through this episode where I was like, it was hitting me that we weren't going to get season two for another year at least. And I'm just sitting here like, fuck my life. Like there is just so much we were tackling in this episode and so much left to tackle. I just really want to keep going with it. Um, it's going to be sad to have to wait this uh, this time for the next episode. But uh, overall, the series was I'm so glad I was a part of this. Like Dave said, loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was a weird feeling going into the finale because they're saying like, oh, this is the last battle. Like we're going in and this is going to be it. But in our perspective, like, yeah, this is only season one. Like we know there's going to be much more story to come. So I I didn't know what to expect, but I knew there was going to be cliffhangers of sorts. I thought they did a great job of I don't know where the hell this is going to go now for season two. Like they get, they did a good job of just like cutting it at a, a point of not setting up too much. And I just, I loved it. I thought all the characters are great. You know, sorry, parent besides you. We'll, we'll talk about that when uh, we get to it, but I loved it. I thought it was a great finale. Yeah, this was a really good episode. Um, it wasn't the best and I have my issues with it being like a book reader I did not expect the amount of backlash that it got on social media. And it seems like it's pretty split down the middle where if you didn't touch the books ever, you love this episode. No, that's pretty much a hundred percent hit rate so far of people I talk to. And if you've read the books, you really dislike it. I'm pretty in the middle leaning more towards liking it. This episode had some of the two of my favorite scenes of the whole season, but it also had two or three of my least favorite things that happened and it's more about the implications of what it means going forward rather than it sucking in the moment. You guys would never be able to like even begin to understand the level of change that they're making here that might play out three seasons down the road. And that's what's really bothering people if you see that negative backlash online. I still think that if you had no book knowledge, though, everything that happened in this episode was set up. The seeds were planted correctly. And maybe there wasn't the greatest payoff for a few things here or there. We'll we'll break that down as we go but um you know it was always going to be tough people think that the end of book one is like the craziest what the fuck just happened moment in the series so it was going to be the hardest part to adapt and i think it's pretty much the general consensus that book one was always going to be the hardest book to adapt because it starts 
getting into its own rhythm and and feeling itself out once all the seeds are planted as the books go on. I think that's how the show's going to be. But again, you know, a couple things I I pretty much hate it, but then a lot of it I thought landed fine and I was I really enjoyed it, especially the opening and the closing scenes. I was just going to say those are the two scenes you were talking about with being your favorite. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. The opening closing, yeah. Yeah, I, it's the worst episode I think to me. Um I think there's definitely there might be even a third camp to what Luke's talking about. I think there's probably there's probably a little bit of a difference between full series reading versus writing reading some of the books versus being a show only. I didn't love honestly when I watched it for the first time, I was like, holy shit, that was legitimately awful. But <laughs> watching it again and like thinking about things more and like not being on such a like emotional high. Granted, I watched it after like, you know, a, a 15 hour day of work and stuff. So not the best mindset to go into it. But I, I, they did a lot of nice things. I think a lot of it has to do with not even story things, just the way things are edited and look. And that had a lot to do with COVID. So I try to give them a little bit of a pass on them. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the things that were out of their control, my least favorite episode. I don't think it's a terrible episode like I did after I first watched it, but definitely um, a little bit of a disappointment in terms of the season finale, I would mm -hmm. say to me. That's uh, interesting. I did see on YouTube, you know, people posting their breakdowns of it and saying, you know, this was the worst of the season so far. Crazy to me because, you know, as a non-book reader, I thought it was great. I thought it, I'm sure there's things that could have been a lot better that a lot of people are looking forward to. Kind of seems like that's what's going on with like The Witcher right now. You know, I watched it and I, like that an episode. I was like, I hated that. And then, you know, after rewatching it, kind of like get separating it realizing it's a, its own adaptation trying to process that as its own is, is difficult but i think i'm learning a lot about it with witcher and wheel of time coming out at the same time because it's so funny because i'm the yeah. exact opposite basically because exactly witcher, i obviously have no idea what they're changing so everything feels like the story to me and then mm -hmm. it's the complete opposite with Wheel of Time. And I got both in the, the book knowledges for these series. And I would just say, Kyle, keep it like that for The Witcher. It's, it's the best way to go. That is the story. <laughs> that is The Witcher story to me. <laughs> to bring us back to what we're here for, The Wheel of Time. So our cold open, we had another cold open, another very good cold open. So we're 3,000 years ago. And we get Luz Theron Telemann and Latra Pose de Sume. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. They are debating a plan to battle the dark one. So they're, they're speaking in the old tongue. We've heard a little bit about the old tongue and they're kind of just having almost this argument that Luce Theron wants to directly battle the dark one and imprison him while his compatriot, his fellow Aes Sedai, actually, uh, she is advising against it. She basically predicts exactly what happens in that he will expose the male half of the power to the dark one and the dark one will corrupt it. I was shocked that they showed us this scene. Um, I was happy to get us some some Age of Legends stuff. I'm just curious what the two uh, two show only guys were thinking when uh, when you saw three thousand years ago. Crazy, absolutely nuts. Um, because uh, I kind of put it together, and they do confirm it quickly. This was the last Dragon Reborn, so they said, you know, you don't we don't even know how long ago it was. It was just so many cycles, but it ends up being three thousand years until he pops up again. So one. That was nuts. And two, the conversation she says is like, oh, like but your actions could set us back a thousand years. And then the last thing we get as they pan out, it's like superistic flying cars, like Fuck yes, insane like buildings. And you're thinking, okay, like you think you could set it back a thousand years. It's really going to set you back like 5,000 years. Like this is insane. I thought it was really cool. This was easily 
my either tied or like the second best cold opening we got tied with the IEL opening. I absolutely just loved getting into this shot of the OG DR. That's what he is in my my notes. He's the OG DR. We also yeah, get, it's kind of a question. I'm sorry to interrupt very quickly. Yeah, that just, if he is, is or he not. the reborn or is he? There's like, that's kind of a conversation of no one really calls him the Dragon Reborn ever in the books. The Dragon Reborn is kind of Rand because mm-hmm. Loose Theron Telamon is the dragon. He's the guy who like got the title. Right. Uh, just like a very small thing. I just think it's easier to relate Rand and him together in this episode when they call him the Dragon Doesn't Reborn. that not really make sense with how the fact that Dark One always talks to Rand, even in book one, saying like all the time, he's just like, we fought thousands of battles. I thought it's pretty heavily implied that while, yeah, Luce Theron was the o- is the only Dragon Reborn in the past that's going to really matter for this story. But I thought it just meant that there could have been like infinite amount of cycles. Oh, no, there is. Yeah. It's just that the soul is the same. It's just that Luce Theron's timeline when he was alive, they gave him the title of Dragon. Gotcha. When they give him the title of Dragon, it was more of like a, like a military like nickname almost. Okay. It wasn't like he's the prophesized guy. Gotcha. Prophecies came afterwards. Yeah, and I just want to put out a warning too. We are probably going to be mentioning the books a lot more than we normally do here because I think it's important, um, especially when it's going gonna, it's gonna to really put some context into me and Kyle's views on some things that non-book readers won't know. So I think it's going to be important for us to talk a little bit more about them than normal. And this is a perfect example of why, but I just want to say that I fucking love that last shot of like the futuristic world, because I I don't know if I mentioned it on podcast before, but there was always this theory in the wheel of time community. And I don't know if it ever gets confirmed because I didn't get that. I'm not that far, but that this story, the wheel of time is not a, it's not a dystopian story where it's a par- it's like a different universe. It's more of a um, apocalyptic story where it's the future of Earth, meaning our timeline happened way in the past, and like this whole breaking is what set us back into the medieval times. And I don't know if that's ever confirmed or not, but that's what it, that's this got more com- this got more evidence because of this opening. So that's actually confirmed in the first book. It's confirmed. Honestly, it might be confirmed in like the third chapter. You would never really notice in your first read, but you read it again. And so, yeah, so very quick timeline is that the first age is our age where we are living right now. They talk about like they've been distorted over time, but they have myths about people going to the moon and things like and creating nuclear weapons and things like that. All of the names are distorted, but like Apollo, the Apollo missions becomes a thing. Oh, that's, that's like, so cool. That's like a myth in the world, essentially. The second age is the age of legends where Luce Theron Telamon is from, where we get the 3000 years ago. And then the third age is what we are currently in, in the storyline where Rand and them mm-hmm. live. The only thing I want to also, there's two comments that I had from this cold opening. One is that we see all, we learn that men also used to be Aes Sedai back in um, the second age. Um, so that was really cool because we now know that the, the, the dragon had something to do with the men. Well, we, Kyle already said it that in that battle, the power gets corrupted for men. So they get split somehow from the Aes Sedai. My second comment is just more of like a, throw out there kind of question is just like how important is that baby going to be like if we're talking cycles is it kind of um like reincarnation or is it 
Rand is going to be a descendant of this guy kind of thing. So I'm just kind of interested to see because in the with the subtitles, he says he calls the child a name, but it's in the subtitles it says sweetheart. But to me, it sounded like an actual name that he was saying, like it was like Chala or so, something weird. I can't remember, but it could again just have been old language. But I just wasn't sure if a name would have been important to the point that this child will then become future, like important in the future. So a, I think that's a wonderful observation. And Mm -hmm. B, this is me firing from the hip. Luce Theron has children. They have names. I don't believe the word that he says is either of their names. I do think it's just... Mm -hmm. um, Sweetheart. It's just, yeah, the the old tongue word for sweetheart. Okay. Two things I want to bring up. Um, The first is that Latra, Latra, Latra says to him after it seems pretty set that Luce Theron is going to go and do his plan with his 99 um, followers or 99... What are they called? Companions. The the companions. companions. Uh, she says, fine, like, do it like the women will be here to clean it up like we always are. And that's actually one of the first things that is, I think that's in Moraine's monologue in the opening of season one, episode one. So that was a cool parallel to bring it back, saying, like, pretty much always been this way. The women are around to clean everything up. Three thousand years ago, it was the same. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing I want to say, me and Dave been talking about this all morning is uh, Luce Theron, as she's walking out, he says to her, he calls her the Tamerlan seat the watcher of the flame and then she says back oh lucerne the dragon reborn or yeah she says the dragon reborn but i guess paul dave and even kyle if you can chime in i don't really know much about what tamerlan seat means but what i was just guessing is that when there were the two male and female parts of the Aes Sedai, maybe they each had a leader and the tamerlan seat was the leader of the women that's pretty much where i'm at right now yeah that yeah. theory was the only like you brought you mentioned that and i was like that's the only thing i could possibly think of so if paul if you want to give a, th- a thought yeah i mean definitely noticed that there was an added t on there it's spelled the same way right just yeah. with a t on the front so i don't know merlin maybe that's something and then mm. t is for male and a is for female and you just slap that t out of there <laughs> so it's only female merlins that's all i got <laughs> i honestly didn't i didn't have anything you're any theory too, you're watching too much cursed man <laughs> probably <laughs> there was also Go ahead, oh, sorry. Time. No, no, I was I was just going to spit more bullshit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we appreciate the um the honesty. So I have um this wonderful book right here called The Companion. What is it? The Wheel of Time Companion, which my wonderful sister got me for Christmas. So I figured I'd bring it to the finale recording <laughs> to bust out. So yeah, he uses the term the Tamerlan seat. There's also a thing called the Ring of Tamerlan. So the Ring of Tamerlan is a legendary ring which is worn by the leader of the Aes Sedai during the Age of Legends. In reality, Luce Theron actually wears the Ring of Tamerlan in the books, but the Tamerlan is just becomes almost, or I'm sorry, Amerlin just becomes a bastardized version of Tamerlan. So it's just that the name kind of got, I guess, mistranslated and that it lost the T and okay. then just becomes the Amerlin seed. Okay. And That's speaking kind of, of just the quick answer. Now that you mentioned Tamerlan ring, this is maybe cutting a little early, but it just reminds me of when we see the dark one and he's teaching Rand how to channel, I made an observation that he has like this weird bracelet ring looking thing on his fingers. So could be a connection there. That's all I well, wanted to point out. Luce was also wearing that too as well. Oh, when okay. when you uh when he went to like silence the baby and say sweetheart, he oh. was wearing it around his hand as well. So I wonder and if he I, got the ring in the I battle. Two theories of what it was. Do we want to get there when we get there? Do you want to say when we get there? 
Well, I might as well say it here okay. because one was maybe this was some type of technology that they used to channel that they just lost because we do know they lost a hell of a bunch of other technology, houses, cars, all of the foundation engineering notes that they had before. Now they have to start from scratch. So I, I wonder if this is something that Dark One knows about, obviously, because he was around during those cycles where they did figure it out or was the ring that was the other one <laughs> yeah they don't actually ever i don't think yeah they don't mention the ring of tamerlane it's just the title so i would say that there's nothing to prove there's nothing there the other one actually i forgot about it, was like maybe something only men needed to channel because the only two people we saw channeling were men using it so i don't know yeah. I think that both of those things are, are very good ways to look at it. Uh, so but Paul, if you move... didn't know, I was telling Dave this already, that this is part, of, not really, but this is a sort of take on the opening to the actual book one. Like we get loose there and is the first page of prologue one. That's cool. So that was a huge change from the books that people were, you know, we thought that was coming at some point in the season. And I thought it made more sense to keep it at the end because mm -hmm. make it, it kept the whole who the dragon reborn mystery was alive, like a little bit better and the dark one being revealed and stuff like that. So, yeah, personally, I think it would have been better to do the actual prologue, but this, this scene does happen. doesn't happen explicitly in the books, but we know that this conversation happened at one point that the male Aes Sedai wanted to do this plan and the female were against it because they thought it was going to lead the way that it led. <laughs> but before we move on, because the women, they know what they're talking about sometimes. Just some fun little nuggets, I guess, as we like to say here. So the shot when we look into the city is actually, if you line it up with the shot at the end of the cold open in episode one, all of the buildings are in the same places. So it's, they were looking at the city that he looks over. That's amazing. It's okay. fucking amazing. Yeah, Luke, Let me, I'll that's send it really cool. right now. Um, Luke it, showed me the picture and I was just blown away. It's just really cool. These references. This is something that we've seen Wheel of Time do throughout the season is just drop these little Easter eggs early on in the season and the payback doesn't happen until the end of the season. And that was one of them. And it was just really cool seeing that they, it did whatever happened in that original battle of the dragon and the dark one. It did. We now, it is confirmed. We can say it here that it did set them back a thousand years at least so mm -hmm. whatever that was told was accurate and it was cool seeing that on on screen dude i it thought it was malkier for yeah. at first yeah, yeah. that would that, that would have been a good way to think of it too it was definitely hard to like bite my tongue in the beginning and i don't even remember if i like struggled or, or kind of like talked around it a little bit in the first episodes or whether that was just with friends but i know alki was like keyed into that immediately <clears throat> as well that they looked like skyscrapers mm -hmm. yeah we said that on episode one and you, you hit us with a big fat waffle. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I figured it would out. come back around. So they, they've done a uh, pretty decent job of doing that. Another one, the flying cars, uh legit thing that happened. They were called Joe cars, which I just think is funny mm -hmm. that they, uh, they went as far to have a name. Um, the name of the city is called Parandisen, which is kind of a, an allegory for the word paradise. It was the yeah. capital city, the largest city in the world. Oh. In the Age of Legends. What was the name? Parent decent. It's two words. Sounds like parent to me a little bit. <laughs> Don't that, in, in the Dragon Reborn was born on Dragon Mound. So come on. So is Parent just so Parent is from Parentland or whatever? Parentland. Parent's the guy. I appreciate it. Um, the building they're in is probably most likely the Hall of Servants, which is just basically the headquarters for the Aes Sedai, which was their version of the White Tower. And the one gripe, I, I guess I would say I have with this scene, it looks great. The shot's amazing. But at this point, they're at war with the dark. This is like the last ditched plan that they have. It was almost made out of desperation with no other options. But the city looks fine. It doesn't look like 
threat war. It just looks like a willy-nilly plan that happened. Just a very small gripe, but just thought it might have conveyed it a little better. I think it's about time to move out of the opening because yeah <laughs> 30 minutes later <laughs> honestly no i do love that scene though and i love that we yeah. push there and ltt i'm gonna do this before we move out because I, I like this passage from the books and i think that criticism that i have and i've read also is that they haven't really hit on how dangerous it is to be the dragon and how afraid people are of the dragon i feel like we know that like people who love rand are upset that he's the dragon and they they fear for him but like not the world at large but essentially, there's a prophecy that's written that kind of describes the aftermath of the plan that's put forth in this scene. Very short story. Sh- I mean, yeah, short, long story short, rather. The moon was as blood and the sun as ashes. The seas boiled and the living envied the dead. All was shattered and all but memory lost. But one memory above all others of him who brought the shadow and the breaking of the world remained. And him they named the dragon. Dope. Could have been nice to throw us a little bone like that, but yeah. Honestly, it was so cool that they they made the parallel to episode one that I it's fine with me. So does the dragon fail then? Like Yes. Okay. Okay. That's yes. what I figured. Okay. So yeah. but we don't know. Telemon fails spectacularly. Okay, that's what I figured. Because um, that's the point. Is is the dragon going to break the world or save the world? Right, and, and in he, this he iteration, broke he broke it. And that doesn't necessarily mean he chose the dark route. It just happened to be that he broke the world, right? Like he 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 yeah. was probably good, but he just didn't accomplish what he was meant to do as as a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he basically did exactly what she said he was going to do, okay. which was yeah, ruin Got everything. Got it because of like his that. pride. That was a cool quote. All right, so back to the modern day. I guess you could say the third age. <laughs> modern day, <laughs> yeah, called by some as they say in the books. So we open up with. A very quick scene that we're going to skip over. Perrin and Egwene basically make up and say that they both love Rand. Like we said, episode seven stuff, we're over this whole relationship thing. So we're going to move right past it. Should have skipped it. <laughs> into a better relationship. I just like it as a leadway into, and I'll talk shit on it whenever I can, into um, Lan and Nynaeve. So they have a really nice moment before Lan kind of embarks on this journey to find Moraine and Rand in the Blight. So Nynaeve reveals that she actually didn't track Lan in episode, I guess it's what, three, or between episodes one and three, she actually tracked Moraine, and she offers up Moraine's tell so that Lan can track them through the Blight. I thought that was a really cool reveal. That's it? That's all I had, yeah. I thought <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, um, I, agree. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really her like tracking, like straight up following signs, but the fact that she was just following basically being pulled towards whatever Moraine's give is or her, her tell. That, yeah. I wonder what the tell cool. is. That's just something I was thinking about. Cause I don't think they ever, they never told us what it actually was. So I wonder if it's and land is able back. to do it. Yeah. Too, so as well. I wonder if it'll come back. I also like this scene too, because it's kind of, I did make a, a theory on that. Uh, land would eventually somehow become Nynaeve's warder. And in this scene, it made me feel like it's still a possibility, especially with the events that happen at the end of the episode. It's still, from my theory of Land becoming Nynaeve's warder at some point, I think it still puts a pin in that. Because the bond is broken. Right because now. the bond is broken and Moraine at the end can't channel anymore. So Land doesn't really have anyone to, to mask with. So that's the only reason. They have a, a very intimate scene here where Nynaeve... They bring back the line that a wisdom never weds. And she kind of interjects and is like, hey, I'm not going to be a wisdom. I might be an Aes Sedai. 
and he kind of stops her right there, delivers an absolutely iconic line from the books from the end of book one in that I will hate the man you choose because he is not me and I will love him if he makes you smile. You are as beautiful as the sun rays. You are as fierce as a warrior. You are a lioness wisdom. Basically breaks her heart in that we can't be together. It's a little different from the books. The one line I think they were missing from the books is that he says that no woman deserves the sure knowledge of a widow's black as her bride price. You least of all. I think that would have sold it a little bit more of like why he's just rejecting her and that like I am destined to die. I I don't really have any other purpose Mm -hmm. besides doing that. So. Yeah, I don't have any comments to add to this scene. I just think this is exactly what I expected. And with yeah. that being said, it it did it hit. Like it was exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. It does seem a little salty or a little fucked up of him to fuck her and then do this. <laughs> um, she fucked the, him. Well, yeah, this is true. This is true. Because in the books, it's like he's like stops her right there and is like, no, <laughs> well, I can't. So, I mean, at least I guess <laughs> a man's perspective, at least he got something out of it. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. So a very another quick scene. Egwene and Nynaeve chat about the wind again, another parallel we have to episode one. They even bring back what they heard in episode one and that something in the wind is wrong. But I would say the most important part is that Nynaeve now says that she hasn't listened to the wind since she first channeled. That's probably something I'll bring up at the end of the episode. It's I that she can't. She, she can't, right? It's not that she hasn't. It's just that she can't. Yeah, right? she can't since the first time she channeled. I think it has a connection to what happens at the end, so we can talk about it a little bit then. Okay, because okay. I was—I have no to idea that. Because yeah, I was going to say I have no idea what that is. And Luke, that also might be more of a an off the pod conversation. Okay, because it'll probably end up spoiling some things that they'll get into in season two. Not even huge spoilers, but it's just probably not worth it. We move from everyone kind of having these intimate moments to now we're demanding answers. We we're kind of taking action. Rand's gone. We are kind of sitting on our hands here at Faldara, the rest of the the people from Ebon's Field and Loyal, the goat. So they head to Min for answers. The only person that uh the only other person I guess you could say they really kind of know in Faldara. And she does her Min thing where she doesn't tell other people, besides Moraine, I guess, what she sees. This was another scene for me that was like, we we learned nothing here. The only thing we get confirmed here is that we see Nynaeve's future of potentially dying in this moment. Like this scene did nothing for me besides just let me know that Nynaeve is going to die. I had the line that every single one of her visions so far yeah, has come true. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, you know, you don't want to say confirmed that everything she sees is going to happen because, you know, something could be wrong. But as of right now, what she sees is going to happen. And we see Nynaeve choking and like getting fried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love men, but she pretty much had nothing to add here. I just think it was the cooler part of the scene to me was when they're walking up and she tells the guy in front of her, like, you got to get the fuck out of here right now. <laughs> that was better. Yeah. They've done a good job. I think of laying out the potential for men's character. She's a season and, two, season and, three kind of girl. Yeah. And we see her, they make it a point to show her escaping the town too. So like we yeah. know that she's safe or is going to be safe and that she will have a role to play in the upcoming seasons. Yeah, exactly. So the end of the scene is basically the horn sounding and Faldara begins to mobilize. Our Lord Agamar, who we know is the Lord of Faldara, the guy who calls all of the shots. He is getting debriefed on the situation. So we know that both Trollocs are amassing in Tarwin's Gap, Paul's favorite geographical location. And oh, yeah. we know also that Dark Friends are in the city because somebody <laughs> cut one of the drawbridges. Let's fucking go. This is me and Luke's guy right here. We fucking <laughs> love Pat and Fane. Every time we watch them together, we're just like, that's our boy. <laughs> he, he is fucking awesome in the show. Incredible. 
And I do also want to say that the concept of dark friend Borderlanders is like especially outrageous. So that's like the ultimate disrespect almost to be a Borderlander and be a dark friend. Mm -hmm. Big things that happen here is that Amelisa essentially is on the side that the gap won't hold while Agamar is like, we're going to go defend it. And then Uno, the man with the eye patch, and Lord Yakota, the other man with the, the top knot that's with them, they get some special instructions and sent on some special mission. I love Agamar. I'm sorry. I just want to slip this in right here while I can. I just think this speech just shows his character so well. His, wife, his sister is just telling him, like, you're going to die out there. Like, you have to wear our ancestors' armor. Like, they kept them safe. And he's like, look we're all going to fucking die. And it's just a matter of how quickly we're going to die. Like we're going to try and buy time to get everyone out of here safely and let other people know about the dark ones coming and the Trolloc attacks and just the growth that he admits to, to his sister. He's like, I should have listened to you fucking years ago when you said we should reach out for the eyes to die. This was just a great scene for a character that I just wish we could get more of in the series, but rest in peace to that man. He was amazing on screen. I thought well fucking said Agamar is such a great character and yeah he's just saying even though we're gonna die we're sending birds our fastest birds messengers everywhere if all we can do is just prepare ran land a little bit more for this trollic attack we're gonna fucking do it so and that's i don't know if you know that paul but that's that's what the the continent is referred to by the fandom as rand land because it doesn't have a name like infamously yeah, we can say that now because yeah. Rand's the Dragon Reborn revealed. And that's yes. why I said Perrin's Land too, because Luca told me that prior to, <laughs> oh, prior to this one, like Perrin's Land. Perrin <laughs> Land. Yeah, I thought this character had an interesting introduction of when Moraine showed up and then he kind of tries to act tough and says, like, I don't need you here. And then Moraine kind of corrects him. So it was weird then because you didn't know what his attitude was. But exactly like when it was crunch time, he was like, hey, I'm not going to be the one disgraced like it fought the the gap finally falls on my watch like fuck that i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna try to try my best to stop it i thought he he ended up being a really really cool character he was killing it too um, like- sh- i was just gonna say the show it, it's hard to tell how much time passes during that battle but like he is out there straight killing it and like it starts with the sun up and you know by the end the sun is down so you can only assume he was out there just grinding for for a while that's a great point that i didn't realize they fought for a little bit there but uh, it just feels like Agamor had like three seasons worth of character development over the last like two episodes, which were like four scenes for him. And it was incredible. There's like every time like he gets brought up, he's just growing as a character. And we don't even like and you slowly like learn about his backstory of just being like stubborn against the eyes to die. Now he's all in and he's like listening to Moraine. And it's just so cool how Agamor was portrayed. I'm hoping beyond hope that he somehow lives yeah paul he didn't we didn't see him die on screen paul so i'm gonna be pissed if he's alive i would be pissed too but it seemed pretty at this point yeah it seemed i mean if nynaeve can fucking live after being fucking that's the point we don't need a fifth death fake out in the finale i agree yeah (laughs) that like someone should die and he should be dead unfortunately but i agree they did a great job of nailing like that honorable duty bound like we're the guys that we're born in this spot, unfortunately, but we got to see it all through. Mm-hmm. Like how he just says, Tarman Gaiden is here in the last battle, but it's not ours to win. Beautiful. That's like, that's fucking kudos right there. Cause a lot of people would be like, nah, we want the glory and everything. Mm-hmm. But he's just like, let's just be the biggest speed bump in the world. <laughs> also had a really cool line right before they charge and where he says, let them buy every step they take with blood or something along those lines. I was like, that's badass. Was like, hey, you want to go forward? You, you, you're going to bleed a little bit. 
<laughs> that's so cool. that's one of the uh, the five great captains right there so we talked about all of the lead up to the battle and we actually talked a little bit of the battle right there so the battle has begun the battle of tarwin's gap our shinarans led by lord agamar ride out to the gap fortress the shinarans are really good on horseback just a lot easier to fight trollocs that way so that's kind of uh, a war style for lack of a better terminology because i don't fight wars <laughs> So yeah, they're they're good. They they like um horseback bows and lances because they fuck with horses. Also, the 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 Gap Fortress looks pretty sick from the back with all of like the yeah. staircases that lead up. I thought that looked really cool. I don't know. I, I'm sure that's inspired by some type of like ancient fortress type, but it always amazes me like looking back at history and like the way people used to build buildings and like castles and shit like that. The borderland like- structures look incredible. Even the cast, even Faldara looks amazing. Yeah, it looks really sick. Like Dave had mentioned too a little earlier, we find out that foreigners can leave, so Min dips out of the city like she should, and we get that the women are going to stay and defend the city while the men fight for the gap, which is just borderlander as fuck. I'm at least, honestly, it's like, there's almost no kind of direction. She's just like, go to the armory and get a weapon, and like, we're just going to do this thing. One thing she says, though, which I really like, because I kind of brought it up a couple episodes ago, when she says, light every torch in the city, there will be no shadow to hide fades tonight. And like I mentioned before, in the books, their whole thing is they don't allow hoods up, so you can never be a fade hiding. So I like that they gave you something that they're very aware of the idea of just like fades could just be anywhere. And they're fucking savages that behead bitches in like one swipe. So like you got to be ready for those guys. Is it more of a thing that they can't like they actually can't be in light? Like, are they is it like a vampire? No, kind of thing? it's just like, so you can't hide. Hide. OK, yeah. that's just, I wasn't sure if it was like that's their weakness or something because they did it coincidentally also attack. I'm pretty sure at night like he didn't start that one fade didn't signal the Trollocs to run until like the sun was pretty down. Fades that. They- it goes into it a little bit in the books, but it's. I think it's honestly a criticism that it wasn't leaned into enough that the show might, and that they can like travel through shadows. Okay, so, so they that- can kind of like jump shadow to shadow. Who does that in uh, Overwatch? Doesn't someone do that in Overwatch? I guess more, uh, but not really. Like- I was thinking Reaper, <laughs> Reaper, but that's not really shadows. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Obviously, I don't play a lot of Overwatch, so that reminds me of Shikamaru from Naruto. Oh, see, not bad, dude. Your references are sick. <laughs> Out of this <laughs> and- world. Back to the battle. Before Agamar unfortunately dies, he kind of looks. Actually, I don't. I'm not exactly sure if it's before he starts shooting the bolts or before he dies. But he says the quote: "May the last embrace of the mother welcome you home." Which, if anyone remembers, was what Moraine said when they buried Karene at the beginning of episode five. Karene is from the Borderlands. Okay, so that's what it was because that's what I was yes. not understanding. Because I know yeah. I thought you were hinting at the fact that Moraine was, but I didn't remember that Moraine was from um, Kyrian. Okay, yeah. I'm all that is why that. Karene is canonically Kandori. Kandor is a, a borderland nation separate from Shinar, but that is why she said that. I think you could have said that at the time and rested. I just thought it would be better if yeah. we got to a point in the show when it said it, and then I could call it back. Yeah, okay. I mean, I would have no idea what you're talking about after we see the actual place of like Faldara and stuff like that. It is really cool now looking back to think that Moraine was just such a bro to you know, bring her sisters kind of their own rights, like how, yeah, how they yeah, how rituals they, yeah. into, into it. And one last thing of the, um, the fight of the fortress itself, because we actually don't get a ton of them actually battling on the walls of the fortress. We kind of just get Agamar, unfortunately getting pieced out by that spear, but straight out of world war Z. I thought when the trial, are kind yes. of just like human hopping on each other. Yep. I just thought mm-hmm. that was a nice little touch. The only just way they get of, through. Yeah. 
I can only think of like the Trolloc that's just chilling on the bottom. It's like the <laughs> bottom of the pyramid, and he's just standing there, just screaming. He's like, "Yeah, we're doing yeah, it." I we guess got it. if you do, <laughs> if you don't get crushed, it might be a better spot to be. Yeah, but not actually, because once they get through, they are confronted by a. Uh, our channeling ladies of the Fantastic Five, I guess you could say. So Amelisa kind of brings out a call before the battle of any woman that can channel, meet with her. They scrounge up two other people in the initial nice. call, <laughs> which is obviously better than nothing. But then Nynaeve and Egwene join them. So it's Egwene, Nynaeve, Lady Amelisa, and then two randos who we don't get the names of, unless the X-ray did, but I doubt it. So they kind of are standing at the, the bottom of Faldara, across this huge kind of open, vast field to the gap. And the Trollocs kind of pour over the fortress. So now it's kind of go time for our ladies. Lady Amelisa initiates the process of them linking, which is what happened at the end of episode four when um, when all the Aes Sedai still Loghain. But you'll notice that it looks a little bit different. And I think that is because in the um, in the preview for this episode, they bring back the quote that Moraine says to Amelisa that you studied a little bit at the tower, but like wasn't enough to become a full Aes Sedai. So I think that's just a hint that she wasn't a full sister and fully trained. She also gets a little bit drunk on the juice as uh, when they first link, she first gets hit with all the power and is like, oh my gosh, like this is fucking a lot of power. She gets to display that power when the Trollocs come through, sends out an enormous shockwave of power and lightning that kind of levels the Trolloc horde, but ends up being too much for our two randos, unfortunately. So they burn out fairly quickly. But then Amelisa can't let go because she's such an amateur with the power, which leads to a little bit of a problem for Nynaeve and, uh, and Egwene. I'm going to be honest. I did not overly enjoy this particular scene that much. Um, I like how you, it helps, though, that you did mention that the preview was talking about Lady Amelisa and how she was a failed Aes Sedai and that maybe if we go back and if she did become one, maybe then she wouldn't have been able to kill those two other people as well as naive temporarily. But I don't know. This just kind of felt really strange to me. I get that getting closer to the one power would make you very like drunk on power kind of thing. And it just felt a little weird to me. I, I wasn't crazy about this scene per se. I like the showing of the linking and how it is able to wipe out tens of thousands of Trollocs. But the aftermath is where I'm kind of just like, it didn't, so, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it, I guess, after what you had mentioned, but it wasn't I wasn't a big fan. This this scene sucked, but it, it was sprinkled with really good things. That's pretty much how I view it. Yeah. And like one, just that face value from a production TV standpoint, when she initially links and she has like the, the lightning is going out everywhere. It looked amazing. It had the epic music. All that's fine. And exactly what you're saying, Kyle, I was actually really about the idea of her not being able to let go of the power because it was just so much going in her. And I think it's kind of supposed to be a parallel to what happened to um, the queen of Menetherin. Yeah. I, I, now that you say that, they did kind of put forth that idea. Yeah, exactly. It was brought up early power. enough that that's pretty much what I envisioned in my head, except the queen of Menetherin was that, except a trained Aes Sedai with a bunch more power. So just think of that. Just scale it up a bunch so that part was all fine um but yeah i i thought this was like really stupid it took away it, it took away so much because at the same time this is what rand is supposed to do in the books he's supposed to just pop in and save the fucking day not knowing what he's doing explosion of power and it's supposed to highlight how epically strong the dragon is and they just give it to the girls for some reason i don't know about all that but yeah and then of course the death the fake out death is like the worst thing ever that they did but 
I genuinely thought I need died for a sec. I was freaking out, especially with Min's prophecy. Like it's we get her dying, and I would have been, I would have been fine with her just being dead. I mean, I mm. I know she like we did. I know she still has a role to play. It's kind of like fine, but with Min's for, fortune telling and just. I just was really expecting her to stay dead, kind of, to, me, to be honest, I guess. The, I, I stop watching the show if they actually killed her. So. Well, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> I'm glad they didn't kill her. But I, I just, Paul's point in that he thought she was actually dead is kind of the whole issue. Yeah, that's, that, what I, that's what I'm thinking, too. Is that Like, if the, you were just kind of watching and say you weren't listening to, you weren't consuming any other outside content, which should be the goal of the show, should be to portray the concepts and the the rules of the world without having to consume outside content to actually truly understand everything should just kind of be supplemental when you go listen to podcasts and things like that at least in my eyes for the most part but this just makes it seem like you can bring people back from the dead with the one power when that's explicitly stated multiple times in all of the books that that is one thing that like you cannot heal death at all but it makes it seem like Egwene cuz there was weaves coming out of Egwene into her Mm -hmm. which then makes her like the burnout go away. So that was one of my three things about this scene that I had liked slash observations was that that was one of them at the very end is the weaves coming from Egwene or is it coming from like her locket, the one that Moraine used to like kind of help her train? Cause it looks like it's coming straight out of the locket. That question, the locket is kind of like um, a lot of people who aren't tower trained have like objects that help it make it easier to like use the power. That's, aren't they so, just angry owls? No, I, I think it's like Moraine has that, I think it's called a Kadara like chain thing that she wears. That yeah, I thought, thing. that's not an angry owl. I don't believe so. No, I mean, I could be dead wrong, but I, I just think like a lot of people that aren't trained, but like are using the power sometimes have little objects and tricks that help them channel. I just think that's what that might have been. Mm. Okay, I I didn't know if it was like remnants of Moraine channeling when oh. she was helping her, like kind no. of introducing her to the channeling. Like, what was that episode two or whatever? I would be um, shocked if that's what it was because it really does look like. I mean, I get that her necklace is hanging at her center of mass, like where the weave would come from, but maybe it was just a coincidence overlap. Um, two things that I did like from the scene, though, like how they introduced kind of. I don't know what to call it, like group channeling. They Ooh, introduced you linking that was in up together. Four. Yeah, exactly. I'm saying they introduced it in episode four mm -hmm. and then it came back and it, it's not like they're throwing this in our face right at the beginning for a huge you know, finale. They've shown us bits of this before. So it's not like, oh, this is, they're pulling this out of nowhere. And then I liked how they linked up in episode four. I liked how they did it here. I also loved that uh, Nynaeve had like the densest weaves coming out of her mm -hmm. like everybody going to amelisa like the two randos you could barely see it and then you get to Egwene and nynaeve and theirs is like a little bit thicker and it, you could just tell it's because they're more powerful naturally and it's it's almost like they're compounding on each other you know, i was like trying magicians. to pause it and see i couldn't count it that it was more i know nynaeve and Egwene had more than the others obviously i couldn't see if nynaeve had one extra or not because of how they moved mm -hmm. I, I don't know if either of you if either you saw but it looked to me like it could have just been like trick of the camera but it looked like nynaeve had at least one more strand going into her which would make sense but i also can't confirm that I mean, she's the beast, so yeah, it would make a ton of sense. Yeah, They also do a weird thing where it's like Nynaeve almost takes over Egwene's position in the link when she grabs her and she starts to burn out quicker and Egwene is fine. Yeah. 
I I don't know what that is if I'm honest. Um, just I like I like what you said though. Like another kind of like broken rule thing that maybe will never become a thing again, but just needed to happen for convenience sake for to set up this narrative or like this kind of emotional fake out death thing, which seems like it's only there for drama's sake. Mm-hmm. Which is that's just the problem. That yeah. is totally the problem. I agree with you, Kyle. It's like I would have felt better if it didn't feel like Nynaeve was actually dead there. Like if they at least gave her like signs of just being like mortally injured, then I think the scene would have been a lot better for me in the sense that okay, they didn't just resurrect her from the dead, but yep. it did feel like Nynaeve in that moment was dead and there was nothing that Egwene was going to be able to do to save her, but they do. So that was probably my biggest gripe. That's really it. Having said what I just said, I do think that they're going to make it into a plot line that actually happens in the books with Nynaeve, which is going to, I think, also tie into when she says that she can't hear the wind anymore when she started the channel. I think it might have a purpose. I think that there were much better ways to get to that purpose than having a fake out death, especially after in this episode. And we're going to talk about it like at this point in the episode, Moraine has already had her dream sequence fake out death. At the end of the episode, we get some people that are dead but they're not going to be dead so it's kind of just like when i watch a season finale i don't want i don't want to be stacking fake out deaths Mm -hmm. and is that with being as vague as possible is the whole naive thing just the angry thing yeah i think that's what it's going to play into makes sense and it's going to be like she has an obstacle for her when she learns to channel as a as a true Aes Sedai in the traditional sense instead of doing like if you notice when she channels she has the big explosions of power she never uses like actual weaves Besides this point, when kind of Annalise is channeling through her and using weaves, I think it's all going to come together. I just, the whole fake out death thing is just trash, in, in my opinion. The worst trope there is. Yeah. And Looking then we at have you, the Oda end. Sensei. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, but I feel like, it, you know, what's so funny is I literally had this conversation with myself in the shower this week because I knew you were going to bring that up. And I just think that it plays better in One Piece just because One Piece is just like a goofy, like, cartoon. Yeah. Like, this isn't like that, you know, we don't, and they don't, don't really do it in the books, which you shouldn't yeah. do it in the books. Yeah. It's just, and we're, you know, we're going to get another one in season two, probably like, it's just bad. It's just, yeah, whatever. Tomato, tomato, tomato for all of my TikTok <laughs> users. Time for the highlight of the episode. Yeah. So moving away from um, the, the wonder girls and their channeling spectacular, we move back into, obviously this is not in chronological order, but just easier to break them into these buckets. So we move back into the city and a little bit back in time. Perrin and Loyal obviously don't go to the uh, the ladies channeling convention. They <laughs> are kind of stuck inside the city. Perrin is lashing out at this point because he feels helpless and useless, which he should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least he's self-aware. That's nice. Yes. Very meta of him freaking out about the way of the leaf for the this is the third time he's brought up the way of the leaf since yes it got introduced and i'm okay with them keeping highlighting that internal struggle but mm-hmm. if but it doesn't really end up coming to anything which is a little frustrating you know what's funny? doesn't that explain why he's there doing nothing he's trying to stick with the way of the leaf yeah that's a good point i guess it's, it's just fresh sorry there's a cough drop in my mouth it's just frustrating i guess to watch it on screen yeah. i don't know as someone who loves Perrin, that's obviously a very biased opinion it's funny. Listen now that I'm thinking about it, it's just funny listening to Perrin talk about the way of the leaf and peace because of our Amon's Field Five. I'm pretty sure he has the highest kill count of anyone by far. Like he's killed all those white cloaks, like his girlfriend, and he's like all preaching this this peace. And it's, I just think it's ironic coming from the guy who's killed the most in the show. <laughs> Ninety F has a decently high body count at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. This like. 
I think they just did Parents Are Dirty season one because he just doesn't really have any area to shine. It, it seems like he's always just kind of not baggage, but he's just kind of like along for the ride. Like he always is questioning the actions that someone else or like they're doing. Like he's always like, oh, but like they're coming for us. We can't just sit here. Mm-hmm. And then another line, he's like, oh, we can't just leave them. And then even <laughs> right here, he's like, oh, how can we just sit here while everyone else is willing to die? And it's like, bro, just do something then. Just don't sit there questioning and everything. That's what Loyal does. I mean, Loyal is literally like, dude, if for pe- what I've learned is people who are feeling helpless and useless all you got to do is just ask like what can i do to help which is very again like i said meta of him to just sit down and just slap him in the face and just be like yo just ask just just go to anyone and be like what can i do to help and so uh, i also like, like how he's when he's when parents said that line you know how can we just sit here oh, yeah. loyal is like well i'm standing so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's very very loyal of him. luke loved that line i was i laughed out loud all three times i watched it it's so good <laughs> yeah loyal has been for the little that they've given him it's been very good and and perrin reacts the same way i feel like rand would react to talking to loyal if he had said that just like dude shut the fuck up like <laughs> we're not it's not like it's not legitimate you know it's just all meta meta uh, metaphors so their way to help is they meet up with Uno and Lord Yakota is the other man's name who got sent on that secret mission during the the whole debrief before the battle. And they are in the throne room <whistles> dig, <laughs> digging up something that's underneath the throne itself. We get a nice little glory to the builders when they see Loyal. You were asking cool. for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I like I'm glad that. I mentioned it on episode seven and then it happened here because yeah. now it's like, I seem kind of cool. So they did it. <laughs> They did it at a moment too, or is like they had a they had to really get this thing out of there, and they took time to literally say glory yeah. to the builders to him. So they couldn't have done it in the hallway. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. they didn't know he was an ogier at the beginning. Now word is spread. Now they're like, holy fuck, that's a builder. They all glory need glasses, the and they're just like, who's that thing in the Listen, background? Uno has one eye, but I'm sure he could tell an ogier <laughs> from a fucking human. Excuse me, cough drop. Almost swallowed it. That would have been bad. That would have been great. So that's a quick little scene, and then. A scene that happens inside the city, but separate from this, which will end up making sense at the end of this little bucket, is that Pat and Fane is now in the city with two fades. Sir, Pat and Fane. <laughs> okay. Are you a dark <laughs> friend yourself? Jesus, I don't think I I'd ever call Fane. you, sir. <laughs> so he flashes, wow, that's not the word I meant to use, but he uses the, um, the catchphrase or secret code. The Kingfisher flashes above the pond to gain access to the secret storeroom. This is a really nice book callback. So if you remember from, I believe it's episode seven, our deep dive episode, when I mentioned that Rand calls Lan an onion because he recites poetry, this is a callback to that scene. So the poem that Lan actually is reciting is, uh, the rose petal floats on water, the kingfisher flashes above the pond, life and beauty swirl in the mist of death. And Agamar actually comments in the books that Yo, bro, like that's one of my favorites as well. Like, nice. And they have a little moment. So, like, it makes sense that in Aglomar City, that would be a, a catchphrase. Yeah. A line from his favorite poem. I thought that was a nice little uh, book callback there. And, like Luke mentioned earlier, the fate just kind of fucked those two chicks up, which is very unfortunate. I'm interested to know. I don't know if this could be told, like, this answer can be given to me, but I'm just interested to know how Pat and Fane would know that. Like, is he from this area? Like, how would he know the code specifically? Did he torture someone to get it out of them? Like, I, I just, I was just thinking. That's my head canon as of right now. Is that he's from here or he just, no, that he, tor- he probably just tortured someone into it or something. Got it. Yeah. But it's Pat and Fane is that or. 
another dark friend, like a borderland and dark friend who would know that just mm. gave him the information. Cause they all have a somewhat of a network and a very like loose hierarchy. Obviously Patton Fane has a little bit of power as these fades are listening to him. I think that's the idea they're trying to get across. I just can't get enough of him. His, co- his confidence is just incredible. Like when those chicks open the door and he's kind of posted up, he's just like, this is, he's like, he knows this is going to bre- be a breeze for him. Like his mission here, he knows this is nothing's going to go wrong for him. And I love that confidence. Mm-hmm. And moving more into his mission. And I guess obviously Uno and, um, and Yakota's secret mission, because they're about to converge together into one. We find out that they've been digging for a chest that has inside of it the horn of Valir. First time we've heard of this, a mythical object that is to be blown at the last battle to call the pattern's greatest heroes to stand at our side. And I'm just curious, Dave and Paul, what you guys think about the introduction of this new item and kind of the description that was given about it. That's crazy. It sounds like when you blow it, all the avatars, all the past avatars will come and help fight. Like when she says like the pattern's greatest heroes, it makes me think of like all the heroes that could have been, not all the heroes that are alive now in the pattern. I could be completely wrong, but I was thinking that sucks that, you know, Perrin, or not Perrin, uh, Pat and Fane grabbed it. I mean, that was supposed to be for the dragon. That was supposed to be for Rand. And, you know, Pat and Fane's walking off with it. So I have no idea what that could possibly do in the wrong hands. Like, if it's in the wrong hands, can it get the pattern's greatest villains and bring them back? Like, that would be crazy. Yeah. Uh, to go off what Paul said, I think it'd be really cool to, like, if it had some kind of, like, get in touch with the last avatars kind of thing. Like, I, I imagine, like, the 99 companions might be a part of that that callback as well. I just, this thing, after my second rewatch, it's just easy to see that this was, this thing was the Dark One's objective the whole time. Because even when he gets Thanos snapped out of existence, like, he's smiling. And that's at the same moment, moment that Pat and Fane is grabbing this thing. So, to me, this thing is more important than even just killing the Dragon Reborn in this moment. Like this thing is just going to be the object for for the next few seasons, and it's just cool seeing it. I can, Kyle. Cut me if I'm saying too much, but I feel like we can talk about it a little bit now. But I think the horn is one of the coolest objects, like in Wheel of Time. And the second book is called The Great Hunt, which is just a reference to talking about the legend of like hunting for the Great Horn. So that's going to be a main part of season two. But I'm not. I'm sure you probably agree, Kyle. I kind of hate that it was just under the throne in Faldara. I'm not crazy. Yeah. That they knew where it is and we're sitting exactly. on it. I think it didn't matter that... that it was there. It could have been there, but if they shouldn't have known, like it should have been lost and like hidden because yeah. the whole purpose in the books is that it's at the eye of the world. That's one of the things that they take away from the eye itself. And that makes it more epic because the eye is something that nobody can really get to. It's lost. But the fact that it was just kind of sitting under uh, Agamor's ass the whole time feels a little weird. I guess it does kind of put a lot of clout on the Shinarans and the Faldarans, I guess, specifically, and that they sat on it because mm-hmm. it's like a very known thing, like the Horn of Valir. And if you get it, you're going to be like an absolute legend. You might actually get tied to it and be one of these pattern greatest heroes. So mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of a shout out to them that they had the self-control to hide it the whole time. But I agree. I'd, I mean, I, I don't love the idea that, like you said, Agamar was just, excuse me, just sitting his ass on it. But I, if, as long as we're getting the hunt, that's really what matters to me. Yeah. One other thing about the scene that I was a little upset about, you know, Perrin sees Pat and Fane and walks away. And then when he comes back, they're like already dead. I kind of wish they showed Uno 
because you said he was a, a fan favorite. I wish I kind of showed him throw down a little bit with the fades. See, you know, if they actually put up a fight or if they were like the women and just got beheaded in like one second and didn't stand a chance. Because we, I haven't seen too much of the fades, you know, besides like Tom Marilyn fighting one. Um, so I really do want to see how like fast or, or how skilled they are. The doesn't matter though, because they all dead. Yeah. Well, the fade caught tom's knife tom's and you saw knife, how fast yeah. he moved so that's at least a little bit but you're right i think it's actually kind of smart because eventually when you do see them throw down it's going to be a little bit more of a like moment rather than to mm-hmm. them taking outside guys because you've seen them behead one shot like you know they're fucking strong and they got yeah. clout in the dark ones army so it's like yeah. does a, a human stand a chance yeah I, I guess agree, Paul, though, I, I think that the whole like editing sequence of it was kind of garbage for lack of a better term, I guess, just to walk through very quickly is that we get the box and we're like, let's go. And then Perrin kind of hears Fane and shit. So he walks out into the hallway, gets bamboozled as he comes back in. Everyone's laying on the ground, kind of already um stabby stabbied. Oh, uh, makes eye too. contact with Perrin as he stabs loyal like just what on. i was gonna say rest in peace i'm so sad that loyal got stabbed like loyal is just an innocent bystander glory to the builders come on and you're just gonna off him we'll see this is what loyal's not dead okay what yeah i mean he's not dead he, they show him moving a little bit at the end he's yeah i mean filming scenes for season two that's like another fake out death like he's totally not dead but also oh can't you assume uno's not dead too because he was yeah. moving around yeah, I don't think Uno's dead either. I need to tell. I need to tell Emily. We were so upset. I need to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I just that's another thing that I have an issue with. Did Did you notice what weapon Pat and Fane has? Yes, the uh, he has the the dagger that Matt had. Or are you talking yeah. about like? Yeah. That, so he okay. he is using that cursed dagger. Hmm. The oh, it was the same dagger. Yeah, you see yeah. him when he sheathes it. It has the red ruby thing on the end of it. They like kind of uh, zoom in on it real quick. So I thought. I thought it was. It, I thought it was just like there was a few of these daggers and it just if you had one of these daggers, it was a mark that you were a dark friend. It was the same one. Yeah, that's not because the last time we saw it, land just kind of threw a cloth over it. and He was like, I want to go dispose of it. So So that's I'm sure this is why you're bringing it up, Kyle, because that's both a problem and not really a problem yet, because the whole thing is that dagger when when Matt uses it like early in book one to cut someone it fucks them up like they get corrupted by taint and they like start like freaking like bubbling up like it's a bad death so the fact that he used it to slice loyal and nothing really happened either means one that dagger's not going to have that effect because i don't think we've seen matt use it on anybody so that isn't breaking anything any lore yet but it means that if they do something weird with it in the future this was a lore break in hindsight yeah and i think that it's it it almost has to end up being that lore break and where it just happened to loyal and then it'll be different in the future. Yeah. Like I would rather it be that at this point versus it not having any type of effect ever. I just, it's just another thing where it's like, why, you know, but I love that. It just had a fade do it and it would have solved that issue. Even that though, like that's another thing where Uno is like gets stabbed and is like, they kind of show Lord Yakota's lifeless eyes staring out. So like, Pretty much, it seemed like they confirmed that he was dead, while Uno and Loyal, they give movement to. But getting stabbed by a Fade's Blade is another, like, pretty oh, much it's the same thing, thing You're as right. well. I mean, they have that, they're they're made in a special forge, they have, like, this tainted corruption poison on them. So, and they could easily get healed by who? It would have to be Egwene, she's the only person left in town that can channel. Is that a thing, going to be a thing in Season 2? Will it be something they skip over? I'm not exactly sure. 
just some small things in this scene that I think, I guess it's better to get them out of the way that we don't like, because there's a lot to like in this scene. I think the last thing is that just kind of like a parent and Pat and Fane face off. I didn't notice this when I watched, but consuming outside content, apparently it's very obvious that it was kind of supposed to be Matt. Like if, if Barney Harris was still around as Matt, this would have been Matt's role. Oh my God. I would have made so much more sense. He probably okay. would have gotten the knife in front of him and had like a talking point, point about it. Yeah. How does, how does oh, Pat gotcha. and Fane get the knife back again? Don't that's know. Idea. The weird oh, okay, so that's, yeah, okay. That would that would make way more sense then if this was Matt's character. And I'm not going to knock him. Like even even with it not being Matt, it's it's still for the most part felt like it was very. It flowed very well, at least from my perspective. It still felt like it was just besides the question of how did Pat and Fane get the knife back. It's just maybe he did run into Matt when Matt was leaving, and they had yeah. some interaction. We'll get in season two, but I thought it flowed really well still. It. Definitely would make more sense to me if it was Matt, because one of my complaints was uh, Pat and Fane is telling him, you know, you're Tavir and all five of you are connected. Usually there's one or two in a generation, but there's five of you. That was cool. That's that's crazy. Um, like we need the dark one. We need balance. So that means some of you are going to turn dark. And Patton looks at Perrin and like Perrin picks up the axe and he, he gets so mad. He's like, oh, like the tiniest push and you pick the dark. And it's like, well. You know, is defending yourself to not be killed and killing that person, is that technically dark? Like, that didn't make sense to me at all. But if that was supposed to be Matt, somebody, you know, you flash to showing him kind of falling into the dark, that would have made so much more sense just because I don't see Perrin kind of going that way right now. Nothing has led me to believe that. But it does also, again, if you want to stick with the theme of the way they leave, it shows that Perrin's will. Like, it, that could be directly talking to Perrin's belief in the way they leave. Like, he, even with like the littlest push, he was willing to abandon that, even though he was kind of willing to abandon that when he was talking to Loyal. But okay. yeah. Everything that Fane's saying here was so good. You just delivered like all the good information there, though. Let's, like, you know, the the once in a generation, but five of you are from the same village. He's like, You think I go to Beltine for you fucking sheep fuckers, basically? He's like, There's a goddamn reason we're here. And, that's exactly what he said. I know, right? Uh, but this is all happening, of course, when you watch the episode in parallel with what's going on with Rand. And he's saying, like, yeah, we brought all the Trollocs to Emmons field not to kill you guys but to basically bring you to the dark one so this is when the realization is starting to kind of click that maybe everything that's been happening even at the eye of the world is part of the dark one's plan to kind of start making things happen and i think fane is such a good voiceover narrative to be driving that home because dude he's just the best he's just he's just slays love pat and fame but let's break it down to here while paul brought it up um while Patton's kind of talking about uh, the light in the dark. <laughs> I just excuse. I just love the first name basis. I'm yeah, because we call him Fane, don't we? Yeah, I just Padden. Me and the homie Padden. We do get a shot of Matt looking terrible, and this is what me and Luke were talking about while watching the episode the second time. Where I'll ask this to Paul. Paul, where is Matt in the moment where Padden is? Padden Fane is talking about light and dark. Where do you think Matt is? Uh, I have no idea. My like, original thought was he was going to go back to his sisters, okay. um, but that didn't look like he looked like he was in like a big city. It wasn't like a, like before a small I asked before I asked Kyle, because Kyle might have a little more information. What me and Luke had pieced together at first, I had thought that th- he went back to Shadar Logoth because the town that he was in was completely like there was no signs of life. Really. It was really dark. It just had all the vibes of Shadar Logoth. 
However, Luke brought it up that where he was walking was it looked exactly like where him and Rand were watching Loghain through the town. Like it looked like uh, Tarvalon, just the streets of Tarvalon. So, but again, it just had the vibe of Shadar Logoth. So I'm not sure if it's either he's at Tarvalon or there. And my guess is definitely Tarvalon still. And it could be him gearing up to leave, even though it looked like he was kind of entering it. But I saw that there was torches lit everywhere. And I think that's a giveaway that Shadar Logoth. What do we call Shadar 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 Fuck Shadar that name? I love we, it. Uh, we decided that I thought that there's nothing. There's no life there. there. There would be no light even by magic. So I thought that that was the giveaway that it had to be Tarvalon. But Kyle, what do you know anything? I think the torches is like a, a really nice eagle eye of like understanding the rules of the world. So I think that's a good catch. But I just think the day giveaway is it, it shows the white tower. Okay, yeah, okay, that's, that's what we were, we weren't sure. But there's also a tower that looks like that that Rand and Egwene stand in in Shadow Lugoth when they're looking out. So that was yeah. the only counterpoint. And I did see people that were, I guess, just instant reacting on Twitter or whatever, say guess Shadow Lugoth. But you, through the second watching in the fire, I just thought it had to be Tarvalon, and it makes more sense because Moraine yeah. still. I feel like we have to see some sort of play out of Moraine's plan, sending the Red Aja after him, like in case they failed. Yeah. So I hope that is like a. Season two, episode one, introduce the new actor, get a quick, yeah. you know. And also, that's just where his story leads him. Yeah. So it just makes sense that they set that up. It's also like reused footage of him that, I, I mean, honestly, yeah, when I first watched, I thought it was Shadow Logoth. And then I looked at it and was like, oh, no, that's it's the, the White Tower. Tower. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that makes more sense. I like that better. Yeah. So uh, does anyone have anything else to say about Pat and Fane and this scene? I just have something to say about Perrin, and I hope he gets a glow up in season two. I hope something good happens to that guy. Yeah, my only note for Perrin is this dude is just getting it railed in the ass all fucking season one, just between his powers of like the wolves and like him killing his girlfriend. And then it's, it's his just, wife, bro. Why do you keep saying girlfriend? I don't know because they never got officially married. So it's not his wife. So I they did. Did they? Okay. Well, yeah, well, I mean, he says his wife. So um, I still have high hopes for Perrin because I think the actor is very good. And I think he's doing a very good job with what he's been given um, in his story. But I, I mean, I agree with Paul. I would love to see Perrin get a huge glow up. And I think it'll happen, obviously. I mean, Patton confirms it also here saying that Paul said, you know, one or two. Um, what are they called them? There's usually one or two. Taviran. Taviran. But now there's five. So obviously Perrin's going to have a part to play. And two things I'll quickly say, one directly off what you just said. That is a term that I think we've been saying it throughout this whole podcast, um, Taviran. But like that said in episode one, when Moraine says she's going to Emmons Field after they watch the first gentling of that random male, I, the male channeler says like there's Taviran there. So that's that's been in the like forefront for a while. It's just you finally kind of get a little bit more context of what that really means and how rare they actually are. But the only other thing I wanted to say, just a subtle observation, and this is more for book readers, and Kyle, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I thought it was interesting Gladly. showing how subservient the fades were to Pat and Fane, mm -hmm. because I thought it was supposed to be like that in within the, the Dark One's army, like they're both pretty much on the same rung at this point where they don't fight but they don't really fuck with each other but at the same time like like doesn't want like pat on fane doesn't control the fades right because they have the whole that's like a couple things that happen it's, it's an interesting part in book two that gets into it a little bit of yeah who would have the role here honestly it it's it's weird in the sense that it does kind of break the lore that the book two shuff i tried to say shit sets up there <laughs> 
in that at nighttime, typically, the fades will have more control, while during the day, Pat and Fane is kind of more of a leader. But I, I think it's perfectly fine, honestly. It's fine. I, yeah. I like it better Fane, this way. Yeah. Fane, in reality, Fane has a, a very specific, unique position within the Dark Friend network and like connection to the Dark One. And I think that they're doing a good job of showing that. Yeah. Without okay. having it happen exactly the way it happens in the books. So I, I think they got the idea across, which was fine with me. And I, I do like how he, uh, he says, what my Lord saw. I just like that they dropped that honorific from his mouth. I want to see him fight. I know we already know he's very smart and stealthy. I just want to see if he can actually hold, throw some fisticuffs, you know? Yeah, it was quite the finale for Pat and Fane. I couldn't yes. really be any more happy with, with the way his storyline went. He it jumps the rankings. Different. He's without yeah. a doubt in, in my top three. Easily the most interesting character. I oh, think, without a doubt. Shown. Yeah. And All right. We'll see what happens with my boy. <laughs> my boy. Okay. So moving into, I guess, technically the meat and potatoes storyline. I, I don't really even know because like, it's like a little less action heavy, but a lot of shit happens. But so this is R- Rand and Moraine in their road trip through the blight. I like how we talked in episode seven about what we thought this was going to be like in any type of small talk. Really no small talk. Rand tries a little bit. Moraine's like, eh, drink this. Like, don't touch anything. Fuck off, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so all business. The first leg of their journey that they show us, the biggest thing that happens is that we see the seven broken towers of Malkir. They use them as a landmark. Thought it was just a nice little toss out to the lore and kind of the geography of the world. We talked about it, I believe, on episode seven of where Malkir is. Rand even mentions, hey, it's not where land's from. It looks like it's been that way for a thousand years. Moraine chimes back with it's only really been maybe 40, just really setting the stage for how crazy the blight is. Um, we run into that decomposing body. I mentioned also that people kind of try to test their metal a little bit in the blight. So that was a, a decent way to show that as well. But after we get our first leg of the journey done, we kind of stop to rest. And this is where Rand has his first dream of the episode. This was fucking wild i was sitting there like my first watch and i'm just like I'm making all these comments and luke's just sitting there quiet i'm like in my head i'm just like dude say something to me give me a <laughs> sign anything because i can't believe moraine just went down like that yeah like, i mean what the fuck did you want me to do no dude it's okay she's not actually <laughs> dead the fucking like, lead actress on the top of the call she is not dead i needed my answers <laughs> right in that moment i was like so blown away i thought it's just phenomenal episode uh scene rather and this was probably one of my favorites is not only do we get that shock of Moraine just getting taken down so easily. The Dark One takes an arrow to the face, but it just pushes it in his face. And then we get the human form of the Dark One. He looks incredible. Uh, I just, I love the suit aspect or whatever he's wearing, like just the fancy outfit. It's just, it kind of reminds me of like My Hero Academia. The main villain is just constantly dressed very nicely. And it's just like, I I just like that touch to a villain where he's not just so like looks evil. He just he's just a well dressed guy. You, you, know? you like a classy villain. Yeah, like, like a little a, class. Dude, That's what he I like. is amazing. Everything to do with him is pretty much landed pretty damn well with me. And you know, there's a couple things they change, of course. But I just thought uh, the dark one. Just I didn't think they were gonna get rid of Eyes of Ember so early because <laughs> that was like a really cool thing. But it would probably cost a decent amount of money. I don't yeah. know. I was Either gonna say way, all the all the CGI not worth it. He looks he looks good. I, I, that's all I'll say. I think he looks great. And just the way he talks to Rand, like he, he, at least for book readers, like he did this thing, right? He basically just keeps calling him loose. He's like loose there. And like, that's what he does. He always is just like, oh, loose there. And, 
And then Rand always has freakouts. I'm not fucking loose there. And he's like, oh, loose. Crazy <laughs> yeah, kid. That's so like you. Yeah. yeah. So loose. loose. <laughs> I really like this scene just really reminded me of the beast from the magician's reveal. Like when. Yes. Because when you see the beast and the magicians, he's always had that like moth head, head of moths basically. And you don't really know that he, <laughs> he is a human or was. And so just putting it to here when the beast puts like pulls the moths away and then you see his actual face, it was just the same like terror. It's like, even though they looked scarier in their prior form, just the fact that they look human kind of adds a layer of just scariness to them that damn, these people are just beyond us, you know? Yeah. And there's two I, quick things I want to say, because I'm going to steal Paul's thunder. I don't know. Uh, one thing I fucking absolutely love about Rand, and it's 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 pretty hard to notice unless you're you kind of are looking for it, but he is so much better and kind of trope breaking at identifying when shit is like visions and not real. You always think he's like falling into it because that's typically this early into a series like of this this epic, they are. But like the way he is like constantly learning, I feel like he's always applying what he's learning, like about the dreams and knowing that they're so important. He tries to fucking he tries to kill himself to wake himself up at the end of the sequence. Like, I just really love Rand's like quick growth in understanding the weight of being the dragon and knowing like everything is going to be fucking lies. Like they're going to the dark one's going to do everything in his power to to fuck him up and then in turn, fuck up the world. He does uh, that, too. in the next dream sequence exactly he He does it yeah twice this episode and the other thing i noticed that i really freaking loved was after the fake out moraine kill in the dream sequence he looks at moraine's body and like says to Rand, he's like dude like last time you came at me you came with 99 of your companions who were all stronger than her because that's pretty much what it was like right like in the age of legends Everybody was a million times stronger than they were now. The power was capable of creating all the magical items at the time. So, like, you have to assume, like, there's such a drop off in power of even the strongest people now compared to what they were in the Age of Legends. And his that, like, subtle comment, he's like, yeah, dude, you're showing up with her. She's weak as shit. Like, you don't know how to channel. Come on, loose. And then, like, he's just like, fuck off, you know? I that comment was so cool just knowing that where the power is now is just not even close to what it was like yes the only person i can imagine like is nynaeve it's like if you have a well like a master nynaeve and then 99 of them like we haven't even met 99 characters in the show let alone those who are all powerful as moraine if not stronger that's why we got to get a spinoff of the age of legends already it's already in the works <laughs> pretty crazy and yeah and then the fact that those people failed yeah there you go yeah i mean you guys pretty much did it all um Genuinely thought Moraine was dead for a second. I was freaking out. Me and Emily were having a heart attack because I thought she served her purpose of bringing him, you know, to the high of the world. And that was kind of it. Then you do kind of realize it is a dream. Love how he, you know, commits Senpuku just to to wake up. Commits a new Yaiba like all, all day. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the beginning of me just thinking like, fuck. Like the dark one is so calm that you are like coming to him. And he already had the comment of last time he tried it, you had basically an army compared to this one eye to die. Like even though Moraine had a, a plan inside of a plan, which we, we get like Rand asking, it, it did feel like it was all going according to like the dark one's plan. And then, you know, going forward, Dave already said it. It seems like when Rand does kind of give the final blow, he like smirks a little bit Dude. before he explodes. Fuck so yeah. it's like it seems like this is kind of all what he wanted to do, which makes me nervous. This is all the good stuff of the finale for me that like I don't even care if some of it's changed. I just think it, it just hit and I get why people that don't mm. know the future love it. I've I been, do like the blight 
taking over Rand a little bit. It starts to like take over his hand while he's sleeping, and he shakes it off real quick. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if we brought that up, but it it was cool. If you t- stay too stagnant, you will like become part of the blight. And that explains how it continuously grows when the darkness starts taking over areas. Like that's how I'm envisioning it's going to take over Faldara, like mm-hmm. slowly start growing over things because it's all dead. It's just wild because all it seems like now that I'm thinking about it, all of my favorite characters are villains, which <laughs> I think is a good thing for a show to have. I just think if you can have a great villain that just kind of puts the show a, a, another step further because you can have your generic main characters who are good and you know want to fight for the good. It's the, it's the villains that you really kind of want to start piecing together and make them have their stories that can really elevate a story to the next one. And so the fact that I really am enjoying Pat and Fane, the dark one, uh, the dark friends, the fades, like the fact that I love all these Dana. characters. Yeah. Yeah. They're Maya. <laughs> it's just, it's just a testament to how great the show is going to be. And I'm excited to, just to be a part of it. I'm glad that you say that too, because I remember mentioning maybe episode five or six in that we don't really have any villains in the story up until that point, mm-hmm. but they've kind of hit, hit the pedal to the metal a little bit in seven and eight with Pat and Fane and now the dark one, which I think they needed to do. So I'm glad that it's been hitting for the two of you. A nice cheeky line that I liked that Luke kind of mentioned a little bit is when he takes the mask kind of off and he says like, it's so hard to have conversations with that thing. A complaint that a lot of book readers had was that when you see him in all the dreams, it's just the face and kind of the jump scares. But in the books, he is speaking to all of them and like getting inside their heads and like fucking with them a lot. And people were like, well, why isn't he talking? Like he just seems like a caricature villain now. But I like that they kind of threw that line in there. Even if I don't love that he wasn't talking to them, I just think it's funny that they threw that in there that like, yeah, it was the mask. And then the only other thing that's left really to talk about in this dream sequence specifically is uh, Roose Bolton gets brought up and they're talking about the Heron Mark sword. And the Dark One knowing about the Heron Mark sword is enough clout that it did it for me like he's even aware that these swords are just special like they're they're master swords and he knows tam althor's like whole name like he's not just like did he say tam althor yeah he's little and then rand's like that's when rand's kind of like holy shit like you know a lot about me like the whole sequence was he was like oh where'd you get that Heronmark blade from my father oh your father's been dead a long long time not referring to tam althor that is actually news to me i mean good verbal confirmation at least even from a book standpoint because i didn't know if rand's real father was ever going to come into play but that sounds like he's not and i'm obviously fine with that because tam is yeah i just think it was a nice kind of showing us how like luke had mentioned when we first started talking about this scene and that he always kind of sees the dragon reborn and rand as loose theron but he's actually fucking with rand althor a lot in this scene when he brings that up and is saying all this shit kind of taunting him about his dad which i thought was kind of nice and then like we said the scene ends with rand committing seppuku seppuku to wake himself up like a fucking savage there's a small issue of if that breaks lore with how you act in dreams i think they will eventually address it i think it's too early to, to it make seems like a conclusion. big issue to me especially because i'm starting to dive heavy into that material in the books yeah i i just it's to me it's one of those many things at this point of the of the se- of the season in the series which is a little unfortunate i guess you could say in that they do something where it's like whoa but then we'll be like well we have to just say let's wait and find out okay because i'm hoping that like if dream world, dream tell tell around, you know that thing. Tell on Riyadh. Yeah, that thing that I'll never ever fucking learn how to say. Like <laughs> I don't if, even know if I said it right. Like I thought the whole thing is just a what death is supposed to be real in it, right, or something like that. Yeah, I don't there, know. There's a difference between like, as, some things. 
as you guys were talking, I'm just like, I, I just assume what the issue was, was that if you kill yourself in a dream kind of thing, like you die in real life. And maybe I'm just to just think of my own thoughts on it is just that maybe because he was aware he was in a dream and that he knew that it was and that him stabbing him was just enough of a shock. Whereas if you didn't realize that was a dream and you got beheaded, maybe that kind of shock of you're actually dead kills you but that's just me it's, it's just not worth i guess yeah. Talking yeah. it's not worth it because i don't it know and you guys we'll see yeah. what they do it's gonna be a season i think season three thing maybe yeah i just think it's fun to for us to bring it up now and then sure. it'll be something that we can talk about in the future because the show will eventually get into moraine says a lot that dreams have power doesn't yeah. really doesn't really imply anything beyond that or any specifics mm-hmm. so the show will get into it we'll get into dream stuff which i think is really fun and they've been doing somewhat successfully in my opinion, I think The Witcher has done it really well as well in their own right with making it very disorienting. But I think that the show has done a decent job of of showing what dreams can be like. Rand awakes from this dream because like we've just said like 18 million times, he stabs himself in the gut and he kind of awakes with a little bit of an attitude. He starts grilling Moraine on what her plans are. I think part of this has to do with that now he's a little bit afraid of he's had this direct contact with a human face. Like Dave said, it's a little bit more intimidating. So he kind of asks her, what are your plans? And she's being pretty tight-lipped, which is funny because he was also tight-lipped with her in this very scene when she's like, what happened? And he's like, "Mm, what's up with you? was just going to make that (laughs) comment that they just totally flipped it right there. She pulls out in response. She charged, I guess, explains some things. And she pulls out a Sa-Angriel. She names it as a Sa-Angriel. She explains the concept of Sangriel. We've done it a little bit on the episodes that we've done, but just a let's, little bit of a refresh. Let's run it back. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's basically just a means to increase the amount of power that you can channel. We've seen in this episode, not at this point, but we've discussed it on this Binge Town episode, that if you pull in too much, you can burn out and die. Dying actually is a little bit of a change from the books. In the books, when you burn out, you just cut off your your connection to the source. You don't actually die, but I don't mind the stakes being raised that way. So I'm mm-hmm. chill with it. I guess Angrials are just less versions of Sangrials, and then Tear Angrials, which you've seen, I believe, in episode five, uh, have a very specific purpose. They do one thing that isn't increasing the amount of power that you can channel through, and they do other very niche things. That was the portrait, right? And Tangrial, yes. yeah. it's important to know that all of the Angrials, Sangrials, and uh, Tear Angrials were created during the Age of Legends when it was possible to use both sides of the powers to come together and make these objects, meaning that you can't make them anymore. So every single one of them, I don't know if that's completely confirmed, is a is a relic from the Age of Legends. Uh, and then also, Paul, I don't know if you caught this, I already told Dave off pod, but the specific Sanangriol that she's using here is the is in the opening scene of episode one. Like when Moraine's getting all ready, she says, I already brought up that quote when she's saying the women are here to pick up all the pieces as she's getting ready to like the next scene directly is, I think, the the gentling of that first male Aes Sedai. So she's getting ready. And the one thing she does is you see her pick up this San Angriol and wrap it. So I've been personally waiting since scene one to see what that was, because I don't even remember if that was a book thing. I think that was just like a if you were paying close enough attention, it came from like she's had it this whole journey. There's a chance that it's a, a specific one from the books, excuse me, that has meaning. We'll see if it confirms it, but I do like that this is another, excuse me again, this is another parallel from episode one and that they're kind of now this tying is a back into wild tangent that I just reminded me of because it's very similar. Does that mean that the thing that Matt stole off the dead Aiel is anything? 
was that also an angry like a magical item piece yeah is that something not that i know of okay so it was just supposed to be valuable you say gem and it just makes me think of maybe it was an Aes Sedai like not golden part of the ring maybe it was like the actual gem piece that he had stolen that have been a fat one Oh, okay. Was I, I don't really remember vividly what it was, but I just remember it being like a blue tint to it or something like that. This is a uh, fairly nitpicky question, but say, like going back to the White Cloaks confronting Moraine with Lan and everybody for the first time, like she took off her ring and gave it to Lan to hide. If she still had that on her, would the White Cloaks, like, do you think Valda would be able to tell that it was uh, San Angria? No, it would just look like a a random statue of a whatever it is. Okay. To him, you would only be able to know what it was if you could channel. Gotcha. Yeah, I think some of them are purposely disguised that way. We'll we'll see later on that it will become a plot point of it might even end up being a thing of us being like some things are hidden as them, you know, things like that. So some of them are designed to be very inconspicuous. And I totally lost my train of thought there. But I do want to say that I think it's funny that my room has gotten progressively darker throughout this entire episode. So. <laughs> I, I put the lights on. Yeah, People I noticed won't be that. Able to I, see I, you. I don't have that luxury. I, my room's not as well lit. That's all I got. It makes it worse. <laughs> I think it makes it worse too. Yeah, it makes me more in shadow. So hopefully we can finish this. Kyle's a fade. He's moving through the shadows. <laughs> by the time, yeah, I'm powering up in the darkness. Thanks, dude. <laughs> All right. Um, shit, where are we? Right so after the song. She, yeah, yeah. So she explains to him, basically, that you're going to use this. You're going to channel as much power as you can through it. And you're going to put that motherfucker back in his prison. And Rand's like, oh, okay, that's it. Thanks. He then confronts her. But he basically says, you thought it was Egwene, didn't you? And kind of explains why he thinks so, and then admits that he also thought so. So, Paul, there's a little feather in your cap that uh, that Rand and potentially Moraine, who is the most knowledgeable character in the story at this point, thought it was Egwene. Yeah, I just identify with Moraine in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Okay, interesting. So, we continue on our travels. We get a uh, a nice jump scare with a broken log. It was just, I think, a funny little way to show tension. Because honestly, I mean, the dark one, we have the dream, but there's never, there isn't any, they never really fall into any actual danger, I feel like, in the play. I don't know if this was a nod to that, just like still building that tension up, but that's a thing that happens. Sorry, really quickly, just want to point out, Moraine looks like shit, dude. They've just been traveling and traveling. Her hair is all over the place. She looks like she's going to collapse. Yeah, she looks god awful. That wig is like fucked up. <laughs> and this he, he also makes she makes an, a note to Rand, just saying i'm not going to teach you the one power because if i do it'll just the more you use it you'll just get closer so she's really just saving him to use his full power for that one moment against the dark one like yeah i thought that was an interesting line i couldn't tell if it's she make it seem like it's she can't teach him or because she won't teach him like she doesn't want to teach yeah. him because he'll go mad when in reality it's that she can't teach him Oh, okay. Because he does counter and he's like, look, like I, whatever happens here, this is it. Like if I have to go mad, like I'm willing to do that if you just train me. So it makes sense that she can't, not that she won't teach him here. I mean, that could be a change that they're making, but it's definitely a thing that women can't teach a man how to use the power because it's so different for the two of them mm -hmm. that it's, I, they might even have a line where it's essentially, it's like trying to teach a fish to fly. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Gender, how to use the power, because mm -hmm. it's just two different things. That makes sense. I like that. I hope they keep that. I guess, fingers crossed. Who can say? And like Dave said, Rand kind of responds in that he doesn't really give a fuck that he's going to go mad. He doesn't anticipate living past this mission. 
which is kind of showing his resolve as the Dragon Reborn. He's really basically just accepted his fate at this point. She then tells him a story how kind of to reassure him that no matter what happens, even if I can't teach you, you're going to use the power when push comes to shove. You're going to get faced with this much danger. So the power is going to come out of you. You're going to reach for it. It's going to be there. You are going to grab it. She then gives a little bit of an anecdote of what happens to her in a similar situation. This actually happens in New Spring. It's not necessarily that she can't touch the power. She's just having trouble using the power into weaves in like a certain way. So then she does kind of get fucked up by an Aes Sedai sister that kind of beats the shit out of her. And then she's good at using the power kind of after that, which is a little bit fucked up how it happens. But that is a nice little new spring callback. So they should teach people in Dragon Ball Z to go Super Saiyan. It's like, if you want to go Super Saiyan, let me just kick the shit out of you until you're <laughs> on death's door and then you'll, you'll unlock it. I mean, doesn't Vegeta just go into like an asteroid shower and just like, yeah, he's <laughs> basically like, on me, they're going to die or become Super Saiyan too. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's why I'm just saying, because in Super, it's that stupid thing where they're like, oh, just like feel around your back and you'll like just go Super Saiyan too. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, just kick the shit out of her until she learns to go <laughs> Super Saiyan too. Uh, like, a, I don't know if we, I think we, unless I just missed it, whatever Rand says in response to all of Marine's wisdom, I thought was really rational because. You know, she was just saying, yeah, you're going to go fucking crazy if you every time you touch the power. Not only can I not teach you, you shouldn't touch it ever unless like your life's on the line. But he says, like, do you think I care what the fuck happens to me after today? Because he thought in his head, I'm going to kill the dark one. And if I go mad doing it, at least like the world saved. And I just thought that Rand's reaction to that was super mature at I, that time. I really love no. Rand. Uh, like from yeah. where he was episode one to bitching at Moraine for everything that she was doing to now just like accepting his fate and just mm -hmm. being so calm with what he is about to go through. It's just I, I really love his character progression as well here. Yeah, now that you bring that up too, it is funny that he was the one that was so anti the whole thing and, and blew up at her in mm -hmm. episode two. And now it's the two of them that are forced to be on this journey and kind of coexist. So that's a thing. All right. The next thing that we see is we're finally here. We get to the eye of the world, the namesake of the first book in the series and the namesake of this episode. The first thing they do when they get there is Rand says that I know this place. So one thing that people have been saying online is that it's potentially, it is the hall of the servants, the place that we were in at the beginning. I don't believe that that's accurate, but I just think that's an interesting thing to think about. And that the breaking of the world scattered all of these places so far away. So now we have things that were almost in the same city are halfway across the world from each other almost. Mm -hmm. Just kind of going to show that level of devastation that happened. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's, yeah. If it plays into that concept, then I, I guess I could be okay with it. So we show, they show us rather, that Rand is actually having memories of this place. Or I'm sorry, before we jump there, I'm going to, Moraine has some good parts here where she now, like Luke just said, Rand is coming to terms with the fact that he's going to die and go insane. Moraine now reveals that she knows that she's going to die because a big point of, I guess it's episode six and seven, is that anyone who's not the dragon is going to end up dying at the eye of the world. Rand, it takes till now for Rand to be like, wait a second, you're not the dragon, so you're going to die. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him credit too, because as a viewer, I also didn't really piece that together because she was always saying like, it made it seem like she was talking about them as a collective group. Like it always felt like she was just going to be power, powerful enough to survive. So that realization came at a good time, at least from my perspective is like, oh yeah, like you are totally not the dragon reborn either. Like what's going to happen to you? So, and, and then more to char Rand's character growth of him just like, he cares for Moraine right now. Like that's wild coming from where we were seven episodes ago. So 
Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just going to say, because not to sound like I'm fucking licking Rand's boots because I freaking love the character, but like <laughs> just the I way you were going somewhere. Else I was going to go somewhere else. I was going to go way fucking dirty, but I pulled it back a little bit. Right. But I just love that Rand is so willing to evolve like this over this season. Like it's Agamar vibes. A little he bit. hate. Yeah, exactly. It's just Agamar. Except maybe he is Agamar. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just going from like hating her guts to pulling them out of Emmons field all the way to saying like, Hey, I'll die by myself. I don't need you to come with me. Like, please stay survive. That was such a cool, quick line. Um, but Rand's the goat, as you can tell. How's that? Ooh, a little bit more light for That's me. That's a little better. Yeah. I know. It's kind of blinding me though. So <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how long it can the People last will there. take that just to see your face. So, wow. That was very kind. I really appreciate that. You know, the, the past week's been a little tough for me. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, a last interesting thing about this scene from Moraine's perspective is that she tells us that all records of the eye of the world have been purged from the Tarvalin libraries by dark friends so i took this as a subtle hint not even i guess it's not a subtle hint but like we've learned in this episode as well that there's dark friends in faldara in the borderlands there's dark friends now in tarvalon so this is really hammering this point home of like these motherfuckers are everywhere and they're up to some shady ass fucking shit we then get now confirmation I'm going to use that word because they show us visually that Rand does have access to these older memories, the loose Theron's memories that they show us. So we see loose Theron and the dark one kind of battling here in this area. I'm just curious with the two of Dave and, and Paul, what you guys were thinking when they kind of sh- visually show this on the screen, we have loose Theron versus the dark one in this exact setting. I wish they showed more of it obviously it's going along with the the sequences of rand not being able to grasp the full memory he's getting glimpses before he can grab onto it he said that you know the memory slips away i thought it's cool you know just your past self was here and you can kind of like have brief memories like if you've ever gone to like i don't know your childhood neighborhood from where you grew up and or or some place like that and you go in there yeah and you haven't been for a long time you're like wow that's a weird feeling so i can only assume it's like that times like a hundred yeah i really liked it i like the touch of the uh it's like a yin and yang symbol also on the the, the floor that ran particularly particularly notes uh from his past and there was a symbol and it to me it was yin and yang which is a very symbolic of what's happening within rand and the, what's supposed to be happening within the dark one is this battle for light and dark so it was really cool i, I really like seeing it. I, like paul said i really wish we got a little bit more of like the actual fight itself i think just, it's also a literal interpretation of the two powers like the black side yeah. being the male isodai or the male power and the white side it's being just the, the perfect Sidar. symbol to represent everything that's going on in the story like it's also in the shape of a circle you know it's just it's it works so I did mention this, I believe, on episode seven's deep dive, or no, it must have been episode six's, because that's the opening with Swan Sanchez. That is, yes, that that's the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai, and it does represent that level of balance, and then over time, it's become corrupted to where that the black half wow. of it has now be used as the dragon's fang, that symbol to symbolize dark friends. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. why Rand recognized this, that symbol, that it was the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. All right. Continuing with the symbol, I guess, Rand touches the symbol and pretty much immediately enters another dream. This dream is much different from the other one in that it actually transports him to a different place. So he doesn't, he's not still in the eye of the world. He is now at the Althor farm. 
that we saw, I believe it's in episode one for the first time. And instead of Tam Althor living there with him, it's him and Egwene and a young daughter named Joya. So I'm just curious again, what we, you two were thinking when we I kind just, of get transported into this dream world. At least when I saw the baby, I just immediately thought of men's vision of Egwene holding a baby. So I just, I, I think this is just hammering home the fact that I really think that Egwene eventually will get the life that maybe not the life she wants, but I think she'll eventually bear a child with hopefully Rand. I, I wasn't like, the scene was, wasn't like that crazy for me, like seeing what could be, I guess. Um, it was more interesting when the Dark One finally appears in the dream world, but uh, I guess this is just, you know, like what the Dark One's saying when he does show up is that this is what Rand wants. This is his innermost wants being displayed for him right now and that he can make this his if he chose it, but, you know, we know how that goes, but it was cool, I guess. Nothing crazy. I was just waiting for him to snap out of it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Luke was making the point earlier. He kind of recognized he was in a dream with Moraine dying, having the conversation with the Dark One. I was, I, I get that he was kind of overwhelmed with happiness at these visions of like his life that could be. But that being said, I'm like, come on, get get out of it. You were just at a, a crazy peak point of your life. And all of a sudden you just like, for, he did pick up on it after a little bit. But I think what really what really got him stuck in this dream sequence was when he asked that question and regaled the story of him and Egwene. Like the fact that she answered correctly what it was, he was like, Oh my God, like it, this is you. Like in the other ones, it was like looking at Moraine's body and seeing that she was dead. He was like, there's no way that could be it. So at least in the other dreams, there was something to him that felt really not real and that he could get out of it. But here he was looking for it in Egwene's question or in his own uh, question to Egwene and then he gets his answer so he's like oh shit maybe this isn't a dream but so yeah. what this does is actually makes it even better the writing for the dark one in my opinion because the dark one is playing like a reverse 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 psychology here thing like trying <laughs> to make it seem like this is what you want so like Rand doesn't want it because he thinks that he wants him to want it and then that causes him to do what he wants Right. Yeah. Like, and the dark one is the one who's like, you think, oh, you think as an audience member initially, you're like, he, you think he's getting what he wants, obviously. Right. And it just worked out. I just thought that becomes even better on a second rewatch because, like, you're thinking, oh my God, like, Rand, the main character, he's busting through the plans. And then, like, as this is all happening, I th I'm pretty sure Pot on Fane is having his, like, voiceover explaining, or maybe that even happens a little bit after this. It's a little like, bit later, yeah. Exactly. To not ruin the reveal that basically everything is going according to plan. So I thought that made this even better because. This was the Dark One's plan was never to have Rand give in to him at this point, like in this way. We also get the confirmation earlier that uh, from Moraine saying that he needs Rand to escape. So there was never there's never a, a yeah. point in the Dark One's mind where he's going to kill Rand. Like he's literally just doing this reverse, reverse, reverse exactly. psychology to help him escape. Basically, <laughs> it, it's just made it so much better on the rewatch because it wasn't just like a simple surface level. Oh my God, Rand isn't an idiot. It was more like, ah, but it kind of might be. It could be, yeah. 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 I didn't, like like Paul said, I didn't love that we like jumped right into another dream sequence. Although I do think they did a, a decent job in this episode of making the dreams like so much more realistic versus how earlier in the series they were very abstract with Perrin kind of with him like in the room and like the the wolves eating her and then like the especially the one in episode four where Rand's kind of wandering around and Perrin's like hammering Layla on the slab and Matt's kind of walking around I thought 
the fact that it feels like they're actually living in the real world versus like they kind of know they're in a dream was at least kind of well done. But yeah, so while Rand and, or rather, yeah, while Rand and Egwene are kind of, I guess, at this point enjoying this fake dream sequence, Moraine is actually in the real world confronting the Dark One. They have a little bit of a conversation. Moraine is kind of trying to desperately wake up Rand. The Dark One... I don't even, I, I don't want to like jump ahead almost, but he places a shield over her. That is what happens. It's the same animation. And when they shield Loghain in episode four, two fingers too, like that. It was yes. <laughs> it, the ease at which he does it is obviously was a very purposeful thing. He definitely fucks her ass up. He, he makes it so that she cannot touch the source at the very least in this moment. We'll talk about it a little bit more later though. So then so, it's confirmed that it's not a stilling or is that what you want to talk about later? Oh, I mean, we, we can talk about it whenever. I just didn't want to be the person that jumps us ahead if people wanted to talk about it a little later. I, just I think didn't, it's confirmed that she's not stilled. By fans talking or by Rafe or somebody? By what they did in the episode. So okay, I, if okay. you see here, and I'm not actually sure if it happens immediately in this scene or slightly later, because this scene jumps back and forth so much, in addition to jumping back and forth with things that are happening in Faldara, it does get a little confusing the exact order in which these things happen. But he does, you see like in his hands, it's like a little bit of a ball that comes together. Mm-hmm. That's like, all yeah, that's like a knot. There's a concept that people that are really good at using the one power, like you would assume the dark one is, where you can, you channel a weave and then you can tie it off so that it just stays there. So episode four, they weren't strong enough. They had to continuously shield Loghain. But if they were strong enough, they could have put a shield over him and tied it off. And it would have just stuck there. And then they can unknot it whenever they. And then yeah, they can, like they if can they can went back it, to yeah. the if they went back to the White Tower with mm-hmm. him, they could have un. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're cool. just they don't know this kind of stuff. They a little bit of the theme of this episode specifically too. They've lost so much knowledge, and the channelers themselves are so much weaker that they don't know that they can do this with the one power yet. That's cool. Okay. And that's what I saw floating around. Like I saw like images on Twitter, screenshot like zooming in on his hand, tying it off, like to make it symbolize like. They put the time into CGI to make it look like he's tying a knot of the weaves. And that is way better gotcha. than stilling because so, I don't yeah. know if there would have instead been of getting back from that. Instead of getting cut off, you just are blocked. It's it's not like completely gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also Moraine, I would assume, doesn't know that this is possible. So from her perspective, and obviously she doesn't know what it's like to be stilled. She's never been stilled before. So she's probably just assuming herself which is a, an absolute favorite trope, I guess, of Robert Jordan, the author of the series, of the unreliable narrator. So we're getting this from Moraine's perspective. So she doesn't understand the concept of tying weaves off. So she's assuming that she's stilled. And that kind of goes into the dialogue too, which I'm kind of appreciating now, is that when Lan shows up and she's explaining to him that she got stilled, she actually never says stilled. She literally just says, I can't touch the one power. So she goes from like her mindset of like, she's completely fucked from the one power to I just can't touch it right now kind of so I kind of appreciate that dialogue a little bit more then because she never claims herself to have been stilled which I like yeah I just think it was a they're just doing very small things like that that are I think hard to catch on the first time because you're on this such emotional high of watching the episode for the first time yeah. it's easy to miss those kind of things honestly the first time I watched the episode I thought that they had stilled her and was like this is that bullshit. was that was Luke's reaction too. He was yeah, sitting there yeah. and he's like, after the episode, he's like, this is not like how it is in the books. Like she's never stilled here, but I, this is an interesting, this makes it a, a way more interesting aspect. Yeah. 
and we'll tie into hopefully how they can start recovering that old magic that they that they lost of course of course i like where your head's at david (laughs) the last little bit i get honestly this dream's kind of broken into two parts i would say so the end of the kind of the first part of the dream is that now the dark one shows up freezes everything and is kind of tempting Rand a little bit with the knowledge of the power so we've gotten moraine about five minutes before this rejecting his him asking to teach him while the dark one is almost the opposite of this and says like did no one tell you what you can do you can remake the world in your image make it whatever you want it to be so he's continuing this kind of theme of tempting ran with this knowledge and this power moraine obviously can't do anything on that level to him she can only basically push him towards this morally like you need to do this for the good of the world so it's a little bit of that playing on inside the dream to move into the second part of the dream uh the dark one kind of moves away from like almost pampering rand of like look all this stuff you can do and he just kind of slits dream Egwene's neck which visually i thought was great i thought he did a good job of that and i just think it's funny how rand like freaks out a little bit and the dark one's like oh like i thought you thought it was a dream and it was all fake pussy so (laughs) i think he did a good job of like fucking with him in that scene Mm -hmm. and we get a, a very interesting part now in that Ran kind of starts to lean, or at least it's you're supposed to think, I guess, yeah. that he's leaning towards the dark one's side when he asks the question, How do I make it real? And I don't know if this is Rand like actually leaning that way or him being like very sneaky sneaky because the dark one starts to teach him almost how to use the power. I'm I thought he was being fact, I yeah. thought he was being sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. I think he's gonna yeah. I also, think he's still in the back of his mind is just aware that this is because even after that first dream sequence that they have in the blight like he comes out of that dream and is like to Moraine, he's like i heard like whatever he said i don't buy a word of it and like that commitment and resolve from him just never being to, able to believe the dark one i think it still transfers here i think he's just being a little sneakily no, it, to he, me, wants, it was to, totally he wants to that. learn how to use it too like I, exactly to me it was sneaky on two levels one because you know he doesn't actually believe this mm-hmm. but two get a couple of lessons w- from where you can you know like you have nobody to teach you this power take it a little bit but also like if he did completely lean into it and wasn't being sneaky like wouldn't that have been a losing situation for the dark one because wonder, he needed him to like I'm sure there was uh, like levels to his plan like I was thinking the same yeah. thing like if Rand just chose Leaned to follow in, him yeah, yeah like I think there was a level to where like the dark ones like if he did lean that way like that it would just work out for him regardless the, sure. but I, don't, I think the dark one was expecting him there's a win-win just, for the dark one yeah this, either at way this I think, point in time because I think what he wants is he wants Rand to be more competent of channeling the one power because I don't think if even at the end of this episode, I don't think Ren would have been capable of breaking the dark one out however he needed to be. So that's why the dark one's so willing to teach him here to channel is because this is going to benefit him no matter what, whether it's right now or in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely to the dark one's benefit that the dragon understands how to use his power. Mm-hmm. So the next thing that kind of happens is Ran begins channeling. So the dark one kind of explains to him that you need to channel all of your emotions that you have except for want. So change almost everything that you're feeling into just pure want and desire and let all of that flow through you. The Dark One at this point in the real world, I guess you could say, when he's talking to Moraine, thinks that he's kind of beginning to win this battle and this struggle a little bit. He starts taunting Moraine a little bit. He even asks the question, like, do you th- like he's channeling, but like, what's he going to do with it? Is he going to break my chains or will he strengthen them? Moraine is holding uh, Rand asleep hostage because if he does end up choosing that dark route, she expects that she'll just be able to slit his throat and that'll end that. Yeah. 
she <laughs> starts drawing some blood too. So she's about it, about it. Mm-hmm. So that brings up like my big question for all of this. So the, well, the whole thing of the dragon born can either break the world or save it, you know, either break the dark ones, chains or strengthen them. What happens if the dragon does nothing? Because like, does the dragon, does the dark one just stay caged and slowly start to take over? Or is he just trapped in there forever? Because, you know, Moraine pulls out the knife and is like, hey, if he chooses wrong, I'm just going to kill him. But I'm thinking, all right, if you're really in the interest of the world, why don't you just kill the dragon no matter what? Just Can I say something real quick? Yeah, yeah go ahead. My thought would just be that we already get these quotes of the wheel has is built or like does these things because it's destined to happen. So yeah, I think no matter what, if Rand somehow chose to be this neutral, not do anything character, the wheel would just make him eventually do something or something would happen to make him. Well, I'm saying, why doesn't Moraine just kill Rand? Is there repercussions to that? Does the dark one come oh. become free as soon as the dragon reborn is gone? Instead of giving the dragon reborn a, a choice, why not just kill him and get out of it? Unless there's repercussions. Yeah, I'm killing the Dragon Reborn for the light side is an auto L. Just you just lose? Because well, no one else can fight the Dark One. Would the Dark One just yeah. continuously build his power while in this like state of slumber yeah. and weakness? Okay. Yeah, that was my inevitability, question. essentially. Okay. Yeah. Inevitability. I mean, but Dave, I think you gave exactly the answer I would have given specifically about what what would happen in the world if the dark if the dragons decided to do nothing, because I think the pattern would just begin weaving itself around the fact that he's doing nothing, which would make the battle him would just bring it to, begin it would just to, bring to it do to like doing nothing would result in him doing something because of how the pattern weaves itself mm-hmm. around Taviran and specifically the dragon too, even more. So I that's think a like big part everything that happens. Too. It's a big part in this first season. I mean, yeah. that's just what we've constantly been told. Like Nynaeve and everyone, like all the Amon's Field Five, are just constantly being told like you can choose to do nothing, but. No matter what, you're going to end up doing something just because the wheel is going to will it that way. But I do want to say something, though, and this is a if you care at all about the books, this is a small spoiler, but it's just a quote from the prologue of book four. But I absolutely loved it. I think it's one of the best things ever that it doesn't ruin like plot or anything like that. But one character is talking about the dragon who's not there in the room and says like the dragon is the most important point in the wheel and things happen around him, but he's not a superhero. Like he could freaking die still. Like he's not just going to be saved by the wheel no matter what happens. So like, while yes, like everything is going to revolve around him. Shit can still happen. That isn't like, I don't know how else to say He's just like so strong that he has the ability that like, yes, he can shape things can be shaped to him, but his decisions at the end of the day are going to be his decisions. And if he, dies then he could still make yeah. like it's not like a predetermined fate basically right. everything isn't predetermined it's like the Shit end of changes time, the end of time is it's there but it's going to adapt to whatever happens to, that's just the best way yeah. to see it yeah yeah that is essentially a, it's a core concept throughout the entire series so i think that it's good that you're thinking about it from that perspective paul but it's impossible almost to to get a full answer on that question honestly probably until the series itself is over they've i think they've done a really poor job of explaining a lot of things about the dragon especially when it comes to also taviran because that plays into it a lot of as well of Kind of like where does destiny begin and end? At what point do they have free will to do things that they want? That all becomes that there'll be plot lines throughout the entire series. So I think that your head is certainly in the right place there. But at this point, no one who knows about the prophecies and like Moraine, who is dedicated 
to kind of seeing them fulfilled would ever just kill the dragon because the killing the dragon is essentially just dooming the, the world what i'm thinking about right now is how luke mentioned that in the books rand is the one that goes back to the battlefield and is the one to stop all the trollocs and everything but in that in the battlefield there's the five women and i'm just now that we're kind of like on this subject i'm just kind of thinking yep. of the tarverin uh, what is what are they called Tavirin. Ta, yeah Ta? Tavirin. Tavirin. um is that there's five of them and we saw five people at that battle you know link and give the power to this one being so i just wonder if you have the four let's say next strongest people in the world linking with the strongest person in the world just what kind of chaos or destruction that could bring and i just got my mind wondering about how that could be eventually a big part of what the the five of them are just yeah, this I one mean, link at the end the five of them and they hammered it home pat and fane says they all have a part to play the five of them at the end of the series are fun i guess for lack, <laughs> of, a, <laughs> for lack of a better less poorly term to use all right so moving back into what's actually happening in the episode itself at this point Dave and this one Rand we're, we're getting now we're, we're kind of Rand is, begins channeling into the Sangria that Marie gives him we're now getting a little bit of an editing trick where we're revolving in a circle and we're going between Rand's actually awake in the real world but he's still in the dream which I thought was confusing of how both of those things are possible at one and time the fact that he's still talking in the one part of it and the other one he's not yeah yeah regardless of that I guess we'll just <laughs> let that be a thing he now uses all of the power that he's channeled into the Sangreal and blasts the Dark One away. And like we've mentioned a million times, then I'm glad we've mentioned a million times, the Dark One has a little bit of a smirk on his face as he disintegrates away into nothingness. I'm just curious, just like overall thoughts on this end of season, I almost said series, Jesus, confrontation between Rand and the Dark One. I said it kind of in the beginning, it had the feel of it. Everyone was going into it being the last battle, but Moraine even has a line like she fears it might be the first. It was just a crazy first chess move. It feels like that's dark one made to have his, this long plan finally like pan out. So honestly, I can't even imagine where he wanted to go, like why he wanted this to happen, whatever it triggered. They do bring up the heart stone. That's what it's called, right? The yeah, not Hearthstone. It's I know there's no H in there. Yeah, there's no H. <laughs> Hearthstone um, is Cowden's hometown. Yes, gotcha. So um, right there is sorry, Paul. That's the hardcover of Wave Kings balancing on my finger right now. Oh, <laughs> oh that's awesome. Fuck yeah, I'm almost done. It's a good one. So yeah, like it. It just feels like everything's going according to plans for the bad guy. Yeah, I, obviously this was not going to be the final battle. Like this, we're season one. This there's years more of this stuff to come out. Um, I think the scene would have lost. I think him smirking at the end of him getting finger snapped out of existence makes this scene much better. Like if he was just like, yeah, like if he just didn't re like if he was genuinely surprised that he was gonna just be put away right in that moment, like then this I think would have felt a little bit forced in a way just not as good but the fact that he smirked and we get that look of this is all just according to my plan just makes me more hype for the seasons to come so i thought the final battle was really good rand's character development just reaches peak in that moment without a doubt just really well done cgi even though the dream sequencing bouncing back and forth of him using the sangreal was a little weird i thought it looked amazing and I, I just couldn't have been uh, happier with how it ended up. Just, I'm just happy that everything just fell into the Dark One's plan. I'm glad it just wasn't like, 
oh my god he actually chose light and now i'm defeated again for another three thousand years so i like that aspect i'll add to it that i have raved at a couple of points throughout this season about the sound that the team puts together and like the that uh, amazon puts together because they're so good at using silence to emphasize things like i was obsessed with the first parent dream sequence just because of how they use muffled sound to highlight the flashes between the dark one and parent and stuff like that and at this part rand is like getting his resolve he's he's gathering up all of his strength and the channeling's all going into the sun angrial and like as soon as all in real time as soon as all of the corruption and the white weaves go into his hand it's just completely dead silent for like a split second and then just the explosion of power and then sound and epic fantasy music I thought just made it good on its face value. Like even regardless of what's going on, I thought the scene was epic and it fucking gave me chills. But the second and third time I freaking watched it, like, so I thought all that was good, but it was a little weird. The editing of jumping back and forth between him. He should have just been awake, I guess. But, you know, I have no nitpicking to add to that part. I just thought it was pretty cool and well done by the sound team. Yeah, I was pretty satisfied with it. Obviously, they were going to make changes to the ending of the first book. The ending of the first book is notoriously chaotic and doesn't really make a bunch of fucking sense at all. Mm -hmm. I still think this is still a little confusing on purpose, but I think the changes that they they made were in large part very well done. Two things I'll say before I guess we get into kind of the the epilogue of the episode, which is us, Rand and Moraine, kind of taking stock of what they're going to do next. I think it was a nice touch and I didn't notice this on my own. So shout out to everyone else that noticed this on the internet that I'm going to steal your ideas. That Rand realizes, what Rand realizes is off is that Egwene, this isn't the life that Egwene would want. And I just think that was a nice touch. I obviously, the episode says that for you, but I just think it was really emphasized well that he knew the thing because he had a bad feeling about the dream the entire time, but couldn't really put his finger on it. And then he realizes that this actually isn't the life that Egwene would want. So why would he force her into that life? So that's what the Dark One got wrong. That's that was really cool. The fact that the Dark One was all about selfishness. What do you want? What do you want? Wished into existence. But thing about Rand is he wants what other people want. So to make them happy. And that gets hammered home here because I mean, in episode one and two, it's like he's saying a lot of like, we want to just go back home to Amon's Field Five when it's like him, her, uh, Moraine, and Lan. It's like, we want this. But like, there are points throughout the season from that point on where it shows that Egwene doesn't want to just go back home anymore. Like, she wants to go to the White Tower. And that all kind of really just gets settled in this one moment, which is really awesome to see. And again, testament to Rand's character growth that he's like no longer thinking that. What he wants is what the group wants. He's realizing that his own wants are his own and that the others have their own paths that they want to follow. So love it. Love it. I'm yeah. just mad about my guess about what Min saw when he saw Rand carrying the baby. I like, I guess that was guessable, but I never, that- ever would have thought that we were getting like a vision like this this early. Remember when Min sees Rand in the first time telling Rand he sees her. So that was referenced to this dream, not to actually what was what could be referenced in like five years. I'm guessing. Okay, I didn't get that at all. I didn't get that either. But oh, I thought that's what that this was. It easily could have been. I'm just I think because that never actually happened and came to fruition. That just that was something that the dark one just showed Rand. It never actually happened, and she said everything that I see happens. I still think it's the way I took it. I think it's still on the table. Like that is still could be Rand at the end end of like all of this stuff going on. Like maybe not just in the dream uh, again, okay. this is all just theory talk. I also think it's just a mixture of two separate scenes in the books that happen later, but I don't. Really yeah. Know. Again, I don't. Yep. Could be that. That's just a, 
Uh, I won't comment on that. Okay. But uh, the last thing about this, the dream and all of this, I just like how Rand says, I did it. Yeah, I nice. said that, and I just immediately was like, "No, you didn't." Yeah, it's, yeah, it's season one, brother. Yeah, season if only one. you were watching yourself right now, and yeah, how stupid you, you sound. You didn't really do nothing. He does okay. say that at the end of book one. He's like, "I did it," basically. Yeah. He, he and it's funny because he's trying to tell people, convince. He's like, "Dude, the dark one's dead. Like, he's dead. I did it." And they're like, eh. <laughs> "Rain's like, ah, I don't know, brother." <laughs> <clears throat> okay, moving into post battle, Rand essentially explains that. While he was channeling, he felt the madness. They've done the CGI trick that we've seen a lot of the blackness, the corruption covering over the weaves. So Rand explains now he felt that physically, the madness. And he's like, I'm not going back to Faldara. I'm not going to risk everyone's lives. Just tell them that I died here. I like how Moraine responds, I can't lie. And then Rand, great response to that response is, you work it out. And then he just kind of leaves. <laughs> I like how he just leaves it to her. Paul, I believe, mentioned this, is that... um. Land now kind of fills the hole that Rand leaves, comes to kind of comfort Moraine. This is when we learn that Moraine says that she can't touch the source. We've covered that where, I mean, I'm of the opinion that she's shielded. I think it's like 99% that she's shielded. I don't think they would steal her. I think that's too drastic of a change for them. I love uh, to hear when asks her, he's like, where's Rand or something like that? And she's like, he's gone. And Land just... Hits her with like a nod, just like, okay, he's not dead. Like he knows right away. Like if, if she, if she had said he's dead, he would have been dead. But in, because the answer she gave, he's just like, ah, so he's good. He's good yeah. by himself. He's been fucking with Aes Sedai for like 20 years. So he, he gets it by now. Yeah. All right. So like also we brought up just to reiterate, cause I think it's a very important point that she's holding kind of a chip of off the ground at the eye of the world they explain that it's called hearthstone also known as the old tongue name is quendiar they use the, the term quendiar a lot in the books they might roll into hearthstone because i guess it's a little feels a little less of like a, a terminology a fantasy terminology but they mention that it can't be scratched or broken and or impacted at all by the one power yet Rand did something to make that happen so that's i guess a little bit of a question mark of what's going on there and then Moraine, like Paul has already said as well, reiterates the great line that it wasn't the last battle, but probably the first battle, which makes me feel a little bit sad for Agamor. I guess he died thinking it was the last battle, so that's good for him. So he won't get the realization like that he, eh, what he did. Yeah, it was just the first one, bro. But like, <laughs> thanks for the sacrifice. We appreciate you. And is it too much probably to talk about like anything more with the Hearthstone? I don't know if we should just let the show do yeah, its thing or yeah. definitely. I don't know anything about Hearthstone. I, I I'd like want the show to kind of yeah, feed it to us. I think it's interesting that it got broke here. Like as someone who didn't read the books and just has no idea, it just it felt like to me it would have made more sense if the stone was left untouched and that having it not be touched like would have been a sign of okay, like something didn't like nothing happened. Whereas it broke here and now they're saying okay because it broke this is only the first battle, which it just seems a little interesting. I'll be interested to see how they can explain what it means later on. But it, to me, it makes more sense that if it was untouched rather than destroyed here. I'm confident they'll bring it up. It's an unbelievably huge part of the books. So when it yeah. becomes a thing, it's going to become a thing. So we're not going to get any more information on the Hearthstone? Like you don't think it'd be worth talking I about? Guess not. No. Okay. No, not in this context. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, we can say that, yeah, it was something that was a material that was discovered during the Age of Legends. Can you that, make weapons out of it? Yes. Mm, okay. You can. It's just 
the material that they used to make in the Age of Legends when men and women could work together with the power. That's like so when you say un- like when it's unbreakable, I just think oh, oh, vibranium. Just make, it, just make yeah, vibranium. Just make it into a weapon. Just weaponize yeah. it. Essentially, yeah, it's just like the hardest material in that world. Yeah. All right, and we get final scene of Rand Al Thor from season one. He heads out alone. Quick look back at the eye, and then heads somewhere i just wrote somewhere because we don't know it looks like he's moving deeper into the blight i, I don't really know me and luke were trying, trying to show. me and luke were going to try and see if like if what that like panned over screen like meant anything and we couldn't it just was yeah. i think he was just moving deeper in yeah it just that's an interesting destination it really seems like the only way he has to go would be back towards valdara but i guess They'll cover that at some point, or maybe we'll just get him jumping to a new location in season two. Maybe he so. like maybe the memories are stronger, maybe not in the blight, or maybe this part of the blight, and maybe his dreams will allow him to become more familiar with the one power and be more like it's be, like how I picture it is like maybe a little time skip for Rand. Like we'll get everyone else's character arcs, but like Rand might disappear for a while, but then come back just a beast. <laughs> Okay. Is that what you think is going to happen? That's, that's just what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Like, I don't think we'll see Rand. I, I don't expect to see Rand maybe for the first couple episodes of season two is how I expected it. I'm going to like laugh my ass off. It's like the cold open this season two. Is just this is Rand <laughs> yeah, doing something. I, yeah. Paul, what are, you, what are you expecting out of Rand now that he's kind of off on his own? Uh, I just figure he is either going to train by himself or look for somebody who's also a, another male channeler said Tom Marilyn could be you know I thought uh, Tom Marilyn was the dark one uh, loyal was the dark one but loyal is nah, not the Paul dark one no. no I said th- Tom Marilyn was a dark friend because dark he was friend. trying to bring he was trying to be Ishmael no that's what I said he was Ishmael <laughs> yeah, yeah. and he was like no you're not gonna take it you're not gonna keep my name I'm gonna go two for two and bring in a DR <laughs> okay but yeah, that being said yeah clearly- just no idea Nope. Yeah, he's clearly on a journey to somewhere. He has some type of destination, it seems, almost in his mind. But we will see how that plays out. So the final scene of the episode <laughs> just Banger. completely teleports us somewhere completely different. Gives us a, a name card. We are on the far western shore. If we recall from episode five, our girl Megan in the bath scene with Moraine mentions that there are mysterious ships off the western coast. This is just a callback to that. We see a young girl playing on the beach as an armada of these strange ships approach. Some women on board channel just an absolute fucking tsunami tidal wave and just obliterates this young child yeah. on the beach. She was digging for clams, but all her hard work went to naught because it got covered up again. The people were they were really like, cool. Yeah, they just well, really quickly, I just want to say they remind me of like a Mad Max Roman kind of thing. Like their ships were very Romanesque, but their looks were very just post-apocalyptic. I mean, they had horns and spikes on everything. They seemed like their culture is very brutal in nature. Uh, I mean, the face paintings alone, like you were kind of going on. And they also had, it looked like they had people controlling other people to channel. They weren't channeling themselves. It almost looked like the, the the women who were channeling, they had like mouthpieces in. They looked like they were being controlled or almost like enslaved to channel for these people. That's what I was getting off that scene. That could be completely wrong. But they look like they just want to come in and conquer. I have no idea what their goal is. Two things I'll say. First is that this is one of my favorite factions ever. And I love factions this is this is going to be such a fun storyline going forward yeah i mean sure uh also shout out to daniel green because he he definitely was looking forward to the sean chen coming too but second thing is that um 
this is not going to appear in the show, but I think it's just a fun tidbit of information that Kyle, you actually told me, I think it's hilarious, is that in the books, Robert Jordan wrote this, I'll keep using the word faction, with Texan accents. Which they definitely will not have because that would just yeah, take you out of the say, show. If they had Texan accents, is that, that confirmed? Just... Is that Absolutely confirmed? not. But if they do, yeah. if they don't have Texan Doesn't accents next season, picture. just think about in your head every time they're talking. If they had like a completely sandy cheek Southern style, just like you know, it's it's hilarious when you look at it like that. Yeah, they they speak in the in the audiobooks. They like draw out every word. They sound drunk, but it's just so I just legitimately can't picture them speaking like people from Texas. Yeah. And they're going to be fun. Just put it in perspective for the people listening. Lou and Kyle have shown us maps of uh, a map of the world that we see and like how basically everything that we've seen, basically episodes, I would say one to four kind of take place in like the middle parts of the map almost, whereas the Tarwin's Gap is the northeast part of the map. And a lot of what we see is from the middle to the northeast. But this, we obviously get confirmation, is the far west side, which we have we have never seen anything in the show yet mm-hmm. of the far west coast. So it'll be definitely interesting to see the culture, the people here, what they have to offer, and who these people are invading them from. Because it seems like they come from maybe the Westeros of Game of Thrones kind of reference, like another island that is on the opposite side of the map that we haven't seen yet. But it's just going to be cool seeing this new group of people and the group of people's on the ship and the group of people's living on the West coast. So, mm-hmm. all right, Luke, do you want to um, go through that? Like the things that you liked from the Q and a that they did, and then we can do episode ratings and then get the fuck out of here. Yeah, sure. So be cam. Uh, so everybody knows that, you know, Rafe Judkins, do we, is it proper to call him Rafe Lee Judkins? If I'm honest, I don't know. I only okay. really see people call him Rafe. Okay. So the showrunner, yeah, so our boy Rafe and the actor who plays Loghain, who's also in Money Heist, who I also don't have his name. I believe his name is Alvaro Morte. Yes. So they did a massive Q&A through Amazon on Twitter, either the day before or day after of the season eight or the episode eight, the finale premiere. And I took a screenshot of a couple of these things. You should go look up this thread. It's amazing. Gives you a lot of information. But some of the questions that I thought were worth bringing up on the podcast that were either big complaints or just good tidbits of information. So one of them, and I guess this is more specifically for book readers here, is why did you miss out on the Avendasora leaves of the Waygates? And there's actually a quick little screenshot. I didn't even, I don't think we even talked about this, but did you know that Kyle, that Pat and Fane is holding the leaf when he's walking through it. I didn't even someone catch on that. The, someone on the YouTube comments, because I'm obsessed with reading your guys' YouTube comments, and someone made, I, it meant nothing to me, but someone yeah. pointed out that he's that holding he a leaf. It. Yeah. So that means that you can get through the way gates if you have the key without channeling. And that's important because I thought that was like super annoying. The second one was this was a big complaint that was popularly talked about when it was the Logan episode, episode four, when Nynaeve explodes with the 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 sun. They said, uh, was Logan able to see Nynaeve's weaves? It looked like he was shielding his eyes. And the answer from Rafe was, I'd shield my eyes too if I saw a woman absolutely explode with energy that shook the cave, healed a dozen people, and undid her braid. Braid undoing energy is blinding you. So basically the complaint was like, why can Loghain see the female weaves and he's saying right there it, it wasn't like she was she just was an just explosion of power like she, the, the cave was physically shaking so that was that answer and then the, the i had two more here doesn't really answer it feels like I, it just yeah. dodges i mean yeah, yeah 
but it's at I least, just feel like that's just like straight up evidence that what they tried to do failed. Which is, okay. I mean, hey, not sure. everything's gonna work, but and then another this one, this one's a huge one. It's just someone asked, "How many seasons ahead are you thinking when making these decisions?" He said, "All of them. You have to be because there's a lot of stuff stuff that we set up in season one that are huge changes from the books that we need to make a payoff for later. So that at least with that bit of information, we know that these huge fucking changes that everybody's hating like are thought front to back fully all the way through. And then the last one I had here, the last one I had here was just about like what Rafe's expectations were from diehard book readers and then from completely new to the series wheel time fans. Like what did he think going into the show he was going to do? And the first thing he said was, I knew right off the bat that we are going to lose pretty much every single completely diehard book reader like you can't make a single change or it's not a good adaptation fans as well as people who completely aren't into fantasy like you're not just going to be drawn into this show basically is what he was saying he says like the main target audience is everybody in between so essentially me right like i'm not like the biggest. <laughs> I, I haven't read all the books like i don't have no no enough to complain but i love fantasy so like Everybody in between, he was kind of aiming to make this show for. So, you know, he was very aware that there was going to be some negative backlash from all the diehards. And that's going to happen with everything. I think the same thing happened with Game of Thrones when it was coming out and, you know, let it breathe a little bit, give it a couple seasons, it becomes the biggest show of all time. And I think we're pretty much on the same path. Rafe's got a great mind for this, and it seems like he cares to his core. So, like, all of the answers that he was giving on Twitter were just you know, they reassured me and gave me more confidence that the gripes that we're having aren't going to be show ruining. Like they are thought through front to back. So we can't, uh, we can't talk about the entire episode and not give our episode rankings. I guess I don't want to go first. Cause I really <clears throat> just want Dave and Paul to just give their opinions. Paul, you can go first. I would say it was like a solid eight. I want to say that maybe maybe like an eight and a half, just because it was the climax. There was really cool parts, introductions to the Dark One's human face and form, you know, actually getting to the eye of the world. There was really cool climactic points. I guess it, it felt weird because there was a little bit to be desired, like left to be desired. I don't know exactly what it was. I, it just felt as a finale, almost not anticlimactic to when Rand is, you know, channeling in into the object and actually, you know, ex explodes I don't even know what to say, the dark one. It all happened almost so quick. And like you said, Rand was like, I did it. And even he was like, it seemed like there was more uh, like left behind the curtain. So I thought it was a good episode overall. Really good, um, honestly, ending point to season one, just because I said it before, I don't know where it's going to go. Um, and really setting up season two for a lot of different angles. They, they could start from so many different storylines. I'm with Paul. I think an eight, I was tempted to say eight and a half, but I'll give it a, an eight for now. Um, it was a really, it was very well done finale. I, I'm very happy with Rand's character. Uh, Patton Fane was great. The dark one was phenomenal. There was a lot of excellent points to the episode. Just the, the small trifles that I had as someone who was first time watching a non-book reader, they were really small, but it holds it back a little bit. Like the other episodes felt like they had a lot less flaws than this one did, which stinks at the expense of the finale, but I'll still stick with it, giving it an eight, borderline eight and a half for me. All right. So I would say that this was probably my fourth favorite episode behind like the tier one episodes being seven, four, and three. Like I loved all the, the Dana stuff. I loved the Logan episode and I thought last episode was phenomenal too. This might this fits around for just through like the sheer top tier moments of the episode with like, you know, Rand exploding with the power. I loved everything with the dark one. And then Pot on Fame was a savage. 
But with that being said, if I could go back and rate them, I wish I could change all my ratings to make it more like it's easier know, to scale that, better. Yeah. But I would stick with like right now, probably like a six and a half to a seven around the, that area. The lows really dragged it down, but the highs kept it relevant and in my top four. So it was still in the top half of the series. But yeah, it could have been better. And I think in hindsight, like when we see the changes that they made play out a little bit more, and if they are satisfying, this could be raised even further. But go Rand, go Pot and Fane, fucking <laughs> called a season, loved it. It was a time and a half. I'm going to, I was coming in here anticipating giving it like a five and a half. I think that talking about it has helped a little bit to get it to a six. I do agree, like looking back and, and like maybe trying to redo the other ratings, but it's really not that fucking big of a deal. But I will say that a big part of why I think I liked a lot of the other episodes was that there was always more to come and that if I had a gripe about something, it might, there was an opportunity for the next episode to kind of, to address it. Case in point, the glory to the builders thing. Didn't love that didn't happen in episode seven, but it happened in episode eight. So it's like, okay, it's not a big deal. But I think that this episode obviously doesn't have that, that benefit of the doubt of future episodes can fix, I guess, immediately in my eyes of the things that went wrong. Just some really atrocious shit happened. The naive thing is just, I said that the parent stuff was my least favorite thing to happen. I didn't even think they could do something as bad as, as fake kill naive. So that might be my new least favorite thing that happened. But I agree that the Pat and Fane stuff is really good. The Rand stuff was, was fairly good as well. I do still wish that we had gotten Rand be the fucking Super Saiyan Savage that kills all the Trollocs just to really showcase how strong he is. But that's okay, I guess, in my eyes, because it'll end up coming around. Based off what I've heard from book readers, it seems like like Luke told us while we were watching for the first time that one of our non-podcaster friends who read Wheel of Time and watched the season finale also felt like it wasn't a great showing of a finale. So it just seems like there is the, a, this is the one episode that like where book readers and sh- only show watchers are really going to diverge a little bit, yeah. which is obviously to be expected because of the book, the book readers knowledge of what's to come and everything. Of course, the the standards might be a little different, but for someone who hasn't seen or who hasn't read the books, I thought, you know, the, the finale was great. Yeah. I just think, I don't know. It, the editing stuff was a little wonky too. I feel like I just I don't think the the battle with the Trollocs really hit anything hard at all. Everything happens. It seemed like very quickly. And honestly, the just insane amount of fake out deaths is just I think <laughs> terrible for a season finale. I mean, yeah. almost everyone we saw die probably isn't going to be dead. Bar probably Agamar and like Lady Amalisa. I, I, I just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I also don't think that anything really got like wrapped up. It felt like I, I just, I guess I don't love the idea of us leaving the finale with way more questions than we went in with. It feels like nothing almost was satisfying mm-hmm. to me. And it's always going to be a sticking point too. Hopefully it gets, as we get farther and farther away from Matt's actor leaving and like that, that change well. having less of a repercussion as we get farther away from it right like and in the beginning of season two we're going to be introduced to this new actor hopefully he's like charismatic and he's who we want him to be and we'll be able to start cleaning some of those things up maybe giving him a a higher spotlight to make him as important um that'll be that'll be good but yeah like they were they were fighting against covid they were fighting against you know matt's actor leaving and all these last minute rewrites now that they know it was such a worldwide success, it was it was like the highest stream show for weeks. It still might be, probably is. Um, 
I think that they might even extend it to 10 episodes next season. Cause that's what Rafe has been asking for. And if we get that, we'll be able to flesh out some of these concepts that we want explained more explicitly. And yes, I don't know. I think, I think season two is just going to be significantly better. And I love season one. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. The, the watching the Witcher season two to me, just in terms of like a quality standpoint, it seemed mm-hmm. like it was such a much better, like well-made show that hopefully yeah. something similar can happen with Wheel of Time. I agree completely that COVID kind of fucked with a lot of their editing shit. And hopefully, maybe not season two, season two might be too soon, but maybe season three, four or five can get more episodes because I think they need it. I don't understand why they try to put themselves in such like a 64 episode box. Like Game of Thrones almost did the same thing. And if you like, we need this number of episodes and we're going to squish the story into it. I don't, I mean, obviously I don't work at a fucking studio and I'm not the one bankrolling all this shit, but it just seems like it's so obviously a bad idea. And even like, even when you look at the big picture with completed shows like game of Thrones, um, things like that. It's just, you all like season one is most of the time, like one of the weaker seasons and for how strong this felt, that's why my high, my hopes are so high for wheel of time. But yeah, of course they're like season one, like Kyle was saying, it's just gotta be a lot of fleshing out of these issues with on and off screen issues. And um, I just think this flexibility of season one being, the fact that it's still considered very good by all of us and that it's just season one of, like I was saying, like season one is usually not the best. So I think this just is a great start to the show. Yeah, I just I just love, love the series so much. So that's why I'm going to be a little hard on it. Same way mm-hmm. that I'm sure you guys are about The Witcher. It's just kind of, it's just the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just kind of how it is. All right. That is it for us. That's all of our deep dive coverage of episode eight of the entire series itself that technically works because season one is the only part of the series if you stuck with us we really appreciate you we love all the youtube comments like we said you can catch us on all social medias bingetown tv that is us on everything we got a patreon um, we got a website bingetowntv.com yada 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 interact with us we love interacting with you guys ask us questions correct us all that kind of fun stuff and I don't know if this will be our last Wheel of Time episode. We might get around with, there's three other Benchtown members. You guys have met Brian, if you've watched all the episodes. We got two other, honestly, ringers in our back pockets. We might bring them on to talk more about Wheel of Time. And maybe a little bit less, like an episode, we'll kind of talk about season-wide things. And then, obviously, we've been talking about The Witcher a little bit. So we cover The Witcher as well. So if you're watching that, check our shit out on that as well. A bunch of other TV shows that we cover and honestly happy i guess end of 2021 hope 2022 is good to all of us and to you as well you're listening to the geekscape network